0: what makes a house hardcore there's an old saying with many variations that boils down to tough places breed tough people it's hard to dispute that if you can survive in a place that most people cannot that's exceptional if you can live there that's even more so and if you're born there born in a place that demands toughness to survive then that toughness is applicable in many other areas of life you know you're not just tough in extreme heat or an extreme cold and then weak about everything else that doesn't really make sense does it with that in mind location for certainty plays a huge role in making someone hardcore or someone's geography is thus at the top of the list weather climate these are of course huge factors it's hard to live in a desert it's hard to live on the steppes. it's hard to live in semi-permanent winter but people do it absolutely people do it in real life and in fantasy Remote locations can be hardcore, but not always. Sometimes a remote location is actually really beautiful, really nice, really a good place to live. The people are good. But when they're not, and when it's combined with harsh terrain, then yes, absolutely. Remote locations that are hard to live in, that's very hardcore. A desert close to a major city? is more likely to be survivable than one far from most other humans. I mean, all other things being roughly equal, of course. Maybe the close by desert has, you know, sand monsters in it, where the other one has, I don't know, sand angels. But (laughs) none of those things exist in, in this world that I know of. So sometimes the presence of or of proximity to other humans can be part of the problem. Rather than being near a city, that's a good thing. Well, sometimes those nearby humans aren't so beneficial to be near, like pirates or raiders or the like. Or if you live amongst those, maybe you were born into a pirate or raiding culture. If you manage to survive, you're probably stronger all the more for it. Truly the essence of the concept of survival of the fittest in a human perspective rather than a pure nature's perspective. Over the long term, these factors like weather and geography and might makes right attitudes can really shape a culture or a region, large or small, or a house in this case. Because we're talking about the people that rose to the top of these hardcore subgroups some of these hard living cultures started because elite families took over but others started because someone decided take to take on the ambitious task of actually building something in one of these hardcore locations that no one already lives in and you actually build a place to live start a family and survive a noble family if a house can build a town a fort or a castle in such a place then you might hear them get mentioned today because that's pretty hardcore the houses we picked for this title, and why, and more, on this episode of History of Westeros podcast, coming up. Hello and welcome, everybody. Good to have you back. This time of year, our episode schedule is a little spottier. End of year is a little more holiday stuff going on, but we still keep it pretty consistent. Episodes most weeks. You can catch us uh, most Sundays uh, around this time at 3 o'clock Eastern and afterwards that's 3
1: p.m eastern not 3 a.m eastern as today (laughs) i accidentally scheduled our live stream for 3 a.m and some of you were (laughs) patiently waiting at 3 a.m excited i'm so sorry yeah
0: i noticed that going to bed i was like what What? history of westeros is live in 30 minutes what (laughs) (laughs) are we (laughs) got a little notification there but yeah and you can always catch it later on youtube or spotify or any place you catch podcasts this episode's got a good number of visuals in it. We got some map shots and some sigils because we're, we're going to point that out for most of the houses we talk about. And, of course, you can get our episodes ad-free on Patreon. And that's a nice thing, isn't it? Sean, what are you, uh, what are you drinking today? I see you got a Better Call Saul uh, GTA mashup shirt there. What beverage goes with that? Yeah,
2: those are both pretty hardcore. They are pretty. That's true. <laughs>
0: Better Call Saul takes place in a desert, you know.
2: <laughs> I don't know. My beverages, I feel like they're too sweet usually to be hardcore. but uh, And I mentioned the naked drinks. They haven't had the protein ones lately. So I have the Bolt House protein vanilla. Mm. Makes this a little creamy. Mixed in with the naked green machine. Mixed with Magic Mine energy drink.
0: Ooh, Magic Mine. That's cool. And I myself, I don't have my thermos today. I've actually got a Dunkin' coffee because... Well, why not? I treated myself. you know. And I'm
1: real bad today. I got myself a frozen Coke and it's only 3 p.m.
0: <laughs> not 3 a.m. <laughs> uh, shout out to our good friend Nina whose blog can be found at goodqueenally.tumblr.com That's one L in Alley, As always, that doesn't change, mind you. The number of L's does not change from week to week in that name in case you thought otherwise. Latest post is talking about The Tullys and Jon Snow and their recognition of him or not. And just that whole situation, what Hoster thought, uh, hierarchies between Starks and Tullys, lots of details that fit into that discussion. It's really good. You'll want to check that out. If you have your own questions or your own takes, especially today, this is a good one for feedback. If you have thoughts on which houses you think are the most hardcore that maybe we didn't include, well, say so in the comments. You can do that whether you're listening on podcasts or on a video because these days you should have a way to, uh, even on Spotify, we've got comment boxes for you. You may not even be aware of that, but they're there. They are there. So lots of ways to give us feedback. Of course, westeroshistory at gmail.com if you want to send us an email, com for our website. Anytime we mention something, a link or a sponsor or a way to find one of our bonus episodes or just anything like that, go to our website if you can't recall the instructions we gave you on how to find that. It's all in one place there. We'll start off with our trivia question as we so often do. Uh, A few months ago, we switched to the format of the trivia question is answered during the episode. So if you're paying attention or if you already know, you'll get the answer to this one, or actually answers because today there are two answers. Not every house in this episode do we have 100% clarity on with regards to their founding. But for the most part, we do. We at least have a an idea or at least an, a notion. Given that, which two houses to be discussed today have and all origin? Not First Men, not necessarily uh, other <laughs> like unknown things like uh, some other maybe cultures that maybe are, exist within the First Men diaspora but aren't labeled as such so two houses have Andal origins keep your eyes out for those how do people adapt to hardcore locations let's let's do a little setup before we get into the main discussion and start naming houses after we meaning humans not three of us sean Shea, and i after we evolved humanity started moving to colder weather places for various reasons like competition following migratory animals just moving away from annoying neighbors (laughs) things like that i did move from atlanta to denver i did move to a after
2: i evolved i moved to a colder weather area
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's a good point you really did
1: (laughs) yeah and i would say some people moving to atlanta from somewhere else would also adapt uh, to the (laughs) extreme humidity here compared to you know so i think it goes both ways
0: you're totally right. And those are very good concepts to understand because there's adapting and there's acclimating. Adapting is a, like a stronger version of acclimating. Acclimating is almost like you get in the pool and it's cold, but a few minutes later, it feels fine. You know, uh, that's a short-term acclimation. Like the shower is too hot, but a second later you're fine. <laughs> Moving locations, that's more of a semi-permanent acclimation. Like you'll acclimate if you move again, but you might have some natural adaptations already in your genetics. You might have genes from people that grew up in colder weather, and that might've been passed down. You might have like Inuit blood or Aboriginal Australian blood, two topics that will come up briefly in this episode to describe, because they're examples of people that have fairly extreme adaptations that are scientifically understood or at least to a certain degree and our small differences in you know come up with small differences in like the way we look and the way our body stores things or our vision or little things like that which we don't have a lot of data for in westeros but it stands to reason that the same factors would be there people westerosian deserts are going to get acclimated and adapted to heat and and be a little better at, at adapting to thirst and things like that it's people in the north are bigger because cold weather people tend to be bigger because your body protects your internal organs better when there's more like bulk around that so these are interesting little things about our bodies that matter here and that's why uh, that's gonna come up a lot one way to adapt
2: can be really quick uh just like acclimation sort of i guess but like yes putting a coat on that's an adaptation right like th- some adaptations are, are physical things our body does but some things are, our intelligence can adapt by like using tools putting on clothes that's one way to adapt So then that can happen pretty quickly but when at ad- when physical adaptations happen consistently over generations that starts to become evolution
0: yes yes i think i think it's more like not to i'm not disagreeing but like yeah it's like acclimation is like the level one adaptation is like level two and if evolution is like level three or maybe it should be even higher than that but whatever is there like stages or variations on this concept and so we're going to try to define what adapt means real briefly here yeah like sean and Shea alluded to there's genetic stuff there's physiological stuff and then what you just said sean like putting on a coat that's cultural like for example desert peoples have pretty advanced ways of layering their clothing to trap cold air to trap cool air as a buffer against heat things that like people living in america we don't know much about that uh, i mean maybe with some exceptions there's people who do live in deserts in america but you know like the three of us we're not we don't know much about desert clothing <laughs> for example you know I, I know put on a winter coat when it's cold but someone who lives in cold weather all the time would have a, a little more nuanced view on layers, exactly what to layers.
2: do and <laughs> layers layers exactly
0: some of it's pretty basic but when you're talking about like living in a spot like that also you're talking about how you make buildings and, and how you distribute water and how you hunt and things like that those are cultural like you don't evolve that's not an evolutionary trait to wear a coat (laughs) like i think that's you don't have to be a scientist to get that concept other than generically
2: intelligence and use of tools or whatever you know
0: right so the way this works out in the real world over a long period of time the physiological adaptations are things like natural selection where certain inheritable traits are not passed down because they're not desirable, or as desirable, or they're not as helpful, right? Like where certain traits are
2: passed down because they are helpful.
0: Yes, absolutely. That's even that's that's the opposite, which is arguably even more important. It's these things manifest in the general subpopulation over a long time. Like if a lot of people value black hair, then the black-haired people are more likely to breed, and there'll be over time the culture will become more black haired That isn't evolution necessarily. They aren't evolved to have black hair it wasn't an environmental thing that turned their hair black maybe in, on some level it may have started that way but that's not what that natural environment that's not what fostered <laughs> the explosion of black-haired people in this example so again i use the in- inuit people as an example they have more blood flowing in their extremities and at a higher temperature than most people in the world so their blood is actually hotter and it flows more rapidly through their body than most people in the entire world because they live
2: at higher climates, right? I don't know if you clarified that, but so they need more yeah, oxygen. They live and, at higher yeah. climates
0: and colder climates. Yeah. And this isn't a long term evolution thing. The Inuits only migrated from the Bering Strait about four or 500 years ago. Evolution plays out way longer scale than that, right? So this isn't pure evolution. This is acclimation or adaptation, physiological, natural selection, things like that. It's more on the lower scale for that. Because they migrated, the Bering Strait is very cold, but they migrated to the Arctic places. It's way north of where. Four or five hundred. Yeah,
2: four or five hundred or a thousand. Hundred.
0: Yes, hundred. It's it's impressive how quickly.
2: So they came at the same time as Columbus or whatever.
0: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, when Columbus was landing in like down south, they were moving from the Bering Sea to to Alaska and the Arctic Circle and things like that, and northern what's now northern Canada and things like that. Yeah, it's impressive. Like short period of time. Yeah, I was I was like really only a few hundred years ago. Like yeah, that's that's what I found out and on the other side of that some aboriginal australian people they have a lower resting metabolic rate that means their bodies burn fewer calories doing things like beating your heart and keeping regulating your body temperature they just it's just a more efficient engine in there right so that's and that's because well they've lived in harsher climates like australia like western australia is barren and hot and it's hard to get food there and yeah uh like you mentioned high altitude but also like darker skin is more resistant to sunburn that's a pretty straightforward adaptation and uh genetic of course is how those traits are passed down fizzy like you you may have be- gotten darker skin and then eventually time over time that's actually passed down rather than you know constantly getting tanned or whatever <laughs> and now in this world though the twist is we have blood magic and sorcery and other things that can factor into it things that throw a little bit of a curveball at our ability to look at things from purely a scientific perspective which of course there's problems with looking at it from a purely scientific perspective in this world anyway but for the most part it's a functional model it helps us I mean think of the Targaryens continuing to have peculiar and horrific dragon babies that's not an evolution (laughs) that's not an adaptation that's sorcery that is just like there is no scientific explanation for that that I know of not that i'm an expert or anything so maybe that doesn't mean a whole lot that i don't know of it but still it is uh it's something out mostly
2: out of this world if you're a real scientist disease you would know that blood magic is true
0: (laughs) (laughs) so cultural like you said anything that is that comes from that like if your culture decides to give extra weight to dark hair or red hair or they decide to throw babies with tentacles into the well you know that's so your babies with tentacles just won't happen you know because they keep killing them it's Tragic for the tentacle babies, really. So this ensures that traits like that are wiped out. If a culture just relentlessly disposes all their tentacle babies, eventually you won't see tentacle babies born at all. Did you see any Spartans with tentacles? No. Not a single one, you're right. So the Spartans were doing it right. (laughs) (laughs) And again, magic can play a big role here. And when you talk about elite families, these are the ones who have gotten the biggest handle on what makes their culture special, what knowledge what cultural knowledge they're at the pinnacle of that they know all the like heat and cold tricks and how to build and distribute and in these environments and they've been doing it for hundreds if not thousands of years so they have a big leg up on what makes them powerful in the first place they have knowledge that is not something that a conqueror could come in and take over very easily, which is a lot of times why you have things like the vassal system and things like that. Because like, I, Aegon trying to directly rule the Ironborn? Like, no, you need a go-between. You need another Ironborn to rule the Ironborn who then reports to you. Because like, what does he know about their ways and means and all that? It just, it just doesn't work very well. So basically, it boils down to climate, food supply, and other supply and danger. Humans are more adapted to heat than cold overall. This one kind of rings intuitively because, well, Think about our origins. We started off as primates living in tropical zones. That's our actual origin. Like we are warm weather initially. We, we evolved from the out of Africa theory is a prevailing one in terms of where humanity started. There's some challenges to that, but it doesn't really matter for our purposes. The point is, have you ever heard of a cold weather primate? Only humans, humans are the only cold weather primates cause we, and we didn't evolve in cold weather. In fact, it's kind of neat. We outcompeted Neanderthals, supposedly, because we're better at adapting to cold. We are better at adapting to different weathers than and, and in climates than the Neanderthals. Thus, we spread farther and wider than they did. And over the very long time, we got more food. We had more babies. And, yeah, and so we, we they got bred out basically over the long time.
2: I don't want to be too contrarian here, but I think there is one breed, one tribe, or whatever of uh, baboons that live in an arctic condition. Oh, really? Okay. But there's a hot spring there. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so they have this like
0: bonus warmth they get. Uh... This is very similar to how migration worked out in Westeros. So coming in all furl Circle, bringing back from the real world stuff, getting into Westeros. F- humanity first appeared across the land bridge in Dorne, the hot place, and then gradually went north and filling out the the nicer places and eventually going north and, and but there were some places that you know they didn't want to go to initially because the places were just so dangerous and harsh and why go live in the desert when there's no one's living in this nice fertile region yet i'll take that right so this is a conversation we had back when we were covering the very early westeros like the first men and the, the migrations and all that so humans may not have originally evolved on essos there may be like an out of Sothoryos thing, like there is an out of Africa, but we don't know. So we have no idea. Uh, so, but, if, but it is a nice parallel to humans first crossing the Bering Strait into North America and and, and so forth. So, uh, but also there in, in Westeros, there's the children and the giants and, Humans even went to places that the children, of the giants, didn't want to live. Again, like the deserts, which is similar to the concept I uh, just brought up with regards to humans out competing Neanderthals by being able to go to places they couldn't. So over time, you're going to go to the places your body's most suited for. Humans are first going to pick out the warm, nice places, but over time, those places are all taken. You go to the colder places, and then even those are taken, and then you go to the really harsh places, and that's what we're that brings us to our topic. That brings us to the houses that live in the really hardcore places folks that oh, look the secondary and tertiary and even court i don't know the next word so just <laughs> the fourth <laughs> best <laughs> cortiary Corsi- <bots. laughs> what's that cortiary cursiary and until all that was left were the worst spots but the worst spots are still land land is the hope the power and and hope and promise in life it's worth the adaptation it's worth it if you're ambitious enough and you got the you got, you know, your druthers, <laughs> you can go for it. You know,
2: there's another uh, variable that sometimes humans migrate to, you know, on earth or in Westeros or whatever, you migrate to an area and, oh, it's nice and warm and beautiful and there's water. And so you chop down some trees and you build a house and you start a garden and then winter comes and it's freezing cold and the lake <laughs> is frozen over and, you know, there's not enough You're food like, anymore. Oh. <laughs> but sometimes once you've made that your home, you tough out the winter, spring comes, it's worn again, then you, with your intelligence, plan for the winter in the future. And overall, it's not as nice, right? It's more harsh in Northern Canada than it is in North Carolina, but we can make it work. But sometimes when you get there, you don't realize how hard you're gonna have to work to make it work, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. And the but hardcore ones do it. do it.
0: The hard, the ones yeah. left
2: over, the, the people that aren't hardcore, they leave and they go back south or whatever. So
0: yeah, they go find something easier. They're like, ah, we can't, we can't cut it. Yeah, that, I totally agree with that. That's a really good model for, for a lot of these. They started small like that and the ones who stayed eventually gained even more power and maybe expanded or what have you. Or maybe someone else came along and took over. But there's, there's both examples you know there's lots all all possibilities that can happen here so doran was a mix both of early settlements because it was the first land that men came into over the step stone was it just when it was before it was broken it's just one step stone right
2: still step stones there were just more of them
0: (laughs) there's just incredibly hard you take more steps so so it was both a place where there were a lot of great initial spots to land and all the spots were like no no one wants to live there but eventually they did anyway because once that was the only thing left (laughs) the the first so the first house has got the choice lands so we're not as interested in those today ironwood fowler Martell, god's grace those are some of the houses that are still the most powerful today and in part because those choice lands are still paying dividends now as you would expect house dane of starfall might qualify as remote but they don't really reside in a desert like a lot of dornish houses do they're near the desert but they're on an island that is kind of non-deserty as far as we know so i wouldn't call them extreme for the main branch of house dane but our first example high hermitage well let's look at it on a map does their cadet branch qualify let's see it's hard to be sure but let's lay out some factors and you can weigh in and decide on your own the torrentine is a nasty river so it's it surely provides fresh water and fish but it does not provide access or transportation which is a thing that a lot of rivers do so it's not going to be useful for trade or moving people around like just easy transportation things like that so that makes it a little more difficult to 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 manage makes it a little more harder to live at and high hermit looks like if this accurate if this location is 100 percent accurate which it might not be looks like it's fairly far away from the torrentine it's a little ways off so that might mean it has poor access to water but maybe it has a well or something up there not sure Anyway, the name of the castle suggests it's at very high altitude, high hermitage. And, I mean, hermits tend to live far from society. That's the whole point of being a hermit, right? You're away from civilization. You live solo. So a hermitage is a place where a hermit lives. It sounds like it's extremely remote, very far away from civilization. Nina has a great theory about it, like a a place of contemplation for, or testing ground, even perhaps for those who would be sword of the morning or those who are sort of the Morning, maybe even both, that you would, it's like you go there to meditate and reflect on whether you're truly worthy before returning to the main spot and saying, yes, I am, or, or no, I'm not, or something like that. Of course, this is pure headcanon, but it's really cool. And it's the kind of thing we get to fill in the blanks on when we, have, when we don't know better. So as a castle now, it isn't Solo, it's a cadet branch of House Dane. Darkstar lives there. He has ancestors that lived there. And he, But he probably doesn't have, like, a large staff. He probably doesn't have a big household. He probably doesn't have a lot of soldiers that he can raise. Uh, so we'll have to call this one a temporary but strong maybe. And why temporary? Because we're probably going to see it in the Winds of Winter. Arya Hota's going there. He's got POVs, so we might see him. We might just hear about it afterwards to hear what happened. But I think we're going to see it so we can maybe make a secondary judgment after that. What does that, how does that sound to you, Sean? What does that, how does that register? Does that sound hardcore? Or maybe it's just not enough information or how does that strike
2: you? It's got the potential to be hardcore. I, I one of my thoughts was that at least maybe, you know, before it was more settled and the castle and everything that maybe to get up there, you know, from climbing, sometimes it's easier to get up than back down. Like if you have That's to true. press the, a ledge and make a leap, you know, coming back down you can't do that backwards so if you go up there you're kind of stuck you have
0: to really want to be yeah. a hermit
2: to do it you know
0: that's a good point
2: and i wonder maybe it's not even that high altitude maybe they just grow weed up there or something
0: <laughs> same <laughs> as high garden right yeah you just want to smoke in peace go to high hermitage <laughs> no one no one's gonna know no one's gonna catch you if you're way the hell up there right <laughs> like they'll never catch me up here <laughs> i'm re- going to great lengths to conceal your weed smoking yeah. <laughs> and of course there's a lot of other houses that are high high up that like that in the mountains the dorn is full of houses that live high in the mountains and this is a small problem that we had in trying to figure this episode out is i'm not really sure which dornish houses are the most remote compared to others there's houses like house blackmont house Manwoody, things like that uh that are important houses that have their castles up in the mountains but we just don't have enough detail to judge just how far away they are from supplies and how many people they have some of them sound pretty hardcore i mean how's Blackmont sigil is a vulture carrying a baby like that's damn and the house man what he's is a crown skull this is these aren't like friendly sigils <laughs> you know they they certainly project uh, intimidation or a level of hardcore that might rise to what we're looking for today. Nina guesses House Fowler is probably a good candidate for the highest uh, altitude wise because they're, uh, it's described as a lofty perch with soaring stone towers. Their emblem is a hawk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Their motto is, let me soar. I mean, that's pretty, it's, it's definitely a candidate so they're they're up there but they're also pretty wealthy and powerful which doesn't maybe the more wealth and power you have the more you maybe get lax because you have so much and you don't push as hard and and maybe you don't ride out in the desert as often as you might because you've got iced drinks (laughs) and and treats (laughs) sitting there at your castle somehow i doubt there's nice drinks and, and snacks at high hermitage but there might be at skyreach a house like blackmont and manwoody hmm i believe they're pretty powerful but that doesn't mean that they're uh, that they're throwing their money around or that they care about you know expensive comforts so yeah now what does this do to you physiologically since we wanted to make that a part of this episode what exactly are their hardcore qualities okay well there's living in a desert or a mountain which comes with certain heat resistance, perhaps, maybe a little bit more other things. High altitude adapts your lungs to lower oxygen environments. It can manifest in the body by just more lung tissue. A lot of high altitude people just have more total lung tissue mass, which absorbs more oxygen. So it just, or allows you to absorb more oxygen from air that has less oxygen in it. And that reverse is true. A major problem for a lowland army to go up altitude, you imagine like all the soldiers are like, none of them are acclimated to that. Like a week ago, they were on like sea level and now they're marching up into the mountains. You can see why Dorne has resisted conquest so many times, how it's so, so hard, even for the other Dornish to conquer each other. Uh, that's why Dorne was the least united of the kingdoms for so long because they have a hard time defeating each other in their home territories. Like if you're, like the Dornish mountain houses aren't, Going to be all that acclimated to the desert necessarily and vice versa. Some of them might have both, but pretty different geography in Dorne, you know, from place to place where you're going. Coast to the mountain to the desert. A lot of different types of terrain and climate there.
2: Even just the top of the mountain to the bottom or vice versa. Yeah. The Grand Canyon has a 40 degree difference between the top and the bottom.
0: Whoa. So
2: if you start at the top and it's 70 degrees and go to the bottom it's freezing it's freezing cold at the bottom wow and if you started wow
0: i didn't know that and i've been to the grand canyon
2: (laughs) if you start at the bottom and it's a cool 60 and you go to the top it's a hundred
0: it's a yeah and so it's getting hotter as you go you're like do i want to go higher maybe we should go back down yeah (laughs) (laughs) so think about an army or just a group of soldiers a squadron 20 good men from a mountain house that's acclimated to high altitude they're going to be able to keep moving longer they're just able to when they get into a high oxygen environment that's going to pay off for them they're going to be able to keep going more because their bodies are more adapted to low oxygen give them high oxygen and they're going to be like raring to go their red blood cells are chock full of oxygen and more than it would be for you know a regular folk so that's a really big difference. And Sean, you point that out about the, the temperature difference. It's also just a big difference from day to night. Like in a desert, a lot of times just the temperature just drops massively because the way the sand absorbs heat uh, during the day is at night, there's
2: nothing. So, yeah, there's, uh, it. that has to do with the humidity in the air. There's not, uh, there's nothing to capture the heat. It just, like the sand absorbs it during the day, but then it dissipates because there's no cloud covered, there's no moisture. Mm. So, it just dissipates away at night. I, also, I just need to, clarify i said it backwards it's it's hotter at the bottom than the top if it's a oh,
1: when I oh saw the grand Canyon, really? sorry I,
2: I think i said those backwards when i said it but interesting you did say it backwards th- and
1: it would make more sense to me to be the opposite because you know heat rises and, and whatnot and the sun reaches more I, it just it makes sense to me that the bottom would be colder me so too. i didn't check you on that but guilty undertaker did it's yeah. the
0: thinner air at the top yeah Okay, oh. so the air is just more compressed or just trapped down there as part of it, huh. I guess? Yeah. I don't know. Just like in general, when you go to the top of the mountains, it's colder. There's, there's snow and ice still at the top. When I guess
1: yeah. I guess that's true.
0: Higher elevation gets colder. I mean, okay, that part makes sense. Yeah, that makes part makes sense, makes yeah. sense. yeah. And there's, there's an interesting thing that, that, that the technology that's developed the, since ancient times, even. Like, you see this in some Arabic cities, Persian cities, where they have what's called a wind catcher. It's like a tower that's open, and the wind comes in and flows downward and it pushes the hot air back out. That's awesome. So it's like ancient air conditioning and it works really well. Like the hottest city in the world. I forget the name of it. It's like, uh, Al-Akra. I can't remember. Don't quote me on the name, Las but Vegas? it's like a hundred and- <laughs> <laughs> it's like 117 degrees. Like on the regular.
1: Is it Dalol in Ethiopia? That might be it. That's the record for highest average temperature for an inhabited
0: place. Okay. Wow. That's, that's hot as hell. And speaking of hell. Our first more confirmed hardcore house, just like the name High Hermit is, is quite suggestive. So is Hellholt, right? <laughs> H's are very strong letters, especially in Dorn. Yeah. So, ha, let's move on to the Ullers. Not as strong as R. <laughs> yes. They don't call it Muck Duck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not the Ulex, it's the Ullers. Yeah. So, Hellholts and the Uller. Let's have a quote here to get us started.
1: There are always a few who walk the roads that others shun, seeking after fortunes in the bleaker corners of the world. And so it was with the Andals who made their way to Dorne. Some contested with the first men who had come before them for the choice lands along the Greenblood and the coasts, or ventured into the mountains. Others established themselves in places where no man had gone before them. Amongst those were the Ullers and the Corgyles. The former raised a grim, stinking seat beside the sulfurous yellow waters of the brimstone, whilst the latter established themselves amidst the dunes and deep sands, fortifying the only well for 50 leagues around.
0: So corgyle is next. That's part of why we had that double quote to talk about them both.
1: And it- as you'll see, as I read the quote on screen, I put this uh, video animation. Um, that I created, generated, uh, of the Hellholt using um, Adobe Firefly and Runway. And I thought it would be a nice visual um, accompaniment for some quotes when we talk about locations, so let me know if you like it.
0: Yeah, I think it's awesome. You can see the Sulphurous River there, the Hellholt. We had to kind of imagine what it looks like. We don't have like a description, just a strict description of what the castle looks like, but this looks fantastic. So if you're someone who listens to us on podcast and every once in a while glances at the screen, because we mentioned something up there. This is a good time to look. This looks really cool. So I'm pleased with that, and let's talk about it. Uh, a consideration regarding both Corgyle and Uller is that they are sandy Dornishmen, thus they have more Rhoynar in them than most Dornish. So it's a really interesting melting pot of a culture. You have Andal fusing with Rhoynar, and the fact that many of the Andal noble houses formed by dominating mostly existing local populations. So you have the local population of sandy Dornishmen that existed prior, you have these Andal nobility coming in with their blonde hair, blue eyes, or what have you. And then you have the Rhoynar, who are dark-haired, dark-eyed, and dark-skinned as well. So this three-way combo that's pretty interesting, which should produce a lot of variety of people. Like, it's very diverse within its a small re- region of Dorne. Although a lot of other Dorne is similar, with different percentages of mixtures there, but still very diverse. So, like, here are some things I learned, like... having a long face, low body fat, height and wide noses are uh, common for desert people. Actually, the height, let me correct myself. Height, in humid climates, you have tall. In shorter climates, you have medium to shorter height. And the reason for that is very, very basic. If you are tall, you have more surface area on your body for sweating, which is how the only way the body has evolved to cool itself. Of course, we have cultural ways of cooling ourselves, ice, refrigerators, things like that. But those are not coming from within your body. Wide nostrils help keep your, the air cooler in your nose when you're inhaling it, for example.
2: I was going to say, other than sweating, that is one other mechanism for cooling a body is breathing through your nose. Oh, okay. We're not particularly good at it. If you have a wider, bigger nose, you're a little better at it. But that's why if you think about long distance running animals, horses, dogs mm. tend to have longer snouts. To cool their body as they run. Oh yeah, the the, the breath flowing. They have more blood vessels and that more surface area to that cool. That makes a lot of sense. Sprinting short distance, you know, cats short shorter snouts.
0: Right on. Okay, yeah, makes sense. Uh, an antelope will
2: literally cook its own brain running away from a cheetah. If it if it doesn't, you know, if it just keeps running at that speed, it'll get so Whoa. hot it cooks its own that's brain. Crazy. So that's why they have longer snouts to, and that's why it's up close to the brain because it cools it better. So anyway, yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, wow, wow, that's amazing. And I mentioned earlier, dark skin being you know, a good adaptation for deserts, it's, it's a protection from solar radiation. Like people with darker skin have more protection against solar radiation and they sweat less. They're like, the th- sweating threshold is lower. So we can assume people who have evolved there or were there long enough, which I'm not sure evolution could have taken place there because it's, it's when we're talking about 10,000 years, but the adaptations will be pretty strong. Adaptations like dark skin, maybe wider noses, things like that. So this is one way you can kind of perceive these dornish folks to look with the uh caveat that there's also this m- and all blood and roinar blood mixed in and, and the time scale being too small for that to all become some new amalgam so we have a lot of different fun things there and again we we'll get to throw in the magic though the roinar blood is very possibly containing some blood magic there was water magic not blood magic but water magic that may have an effect on them maybe maybe they need less water maybe they're Pre developed, ad- adapted to needing less water. Maybe there's maybe their cells cl- like purify the water inside their body somehow, <laughs> something cool like that. I don't know. But these are it's lots of room for imagination here. And I, I think this is particularly fun for someone who's like doing role playing campaigns, like having an understanding of small differences in physiology, uh, physiognomy, physiognomy, physiological traits. <laughs> Although, what do you know the word I'm trying to say? And also, I think it has a good real world uh adaptation or application because it's just like it really just like explains these small differences that we have across cultures as just you're just adapting to your climate that's it we're really not that different in that like obviously cultures can be different and all that but you get down to it it's just the reasons we look different from each other worldwide are mostly overwhelmingly because of where we where our ancestors were born what climates they lived in it's, it's there's not it's really all there is to it you know for the most part so it really just so yeah we're all we're all very similar y'all anyway off my soapbox so they settled by a river the Ullers. it's like wait a river why was why did it take so long for people to settle by this river why did no roinar prior to this why did no first men settle by this river that seems like an obvious place to build well it's called the brimstone that gives you a clue as to why no one wanted to live there all rivers aren't created equal yeah, you saw the, if you saw the image I posted, that river was yellow because it's sulfurous. <laughs> there's lots of sulfur in that river. That's not the best. Harsh and rocky, not fit for anchorage. It flows into the sea, but the sea, but the hellhole is nowhere near the sea. And I don't know if boats can even traverse the, the brimstone to get out to the sea. I'm thinking no, because if they, if the, living near the shore was an advantage, they probably would have done so. But yeah, there's nothing. So I don't think there's a lot of ships on the Brimstone. There might be some, but they're probably just river craft. If so, I doubt they're ocean going. And there's a deep desert in every direction, too, except like if you go south, it's deep desert until you get to the rocky coasts that are terrible and barren. West, it's even deeper desert. East, it's a lot of empty desert until you get to Vaith. uh, But there's a lot of sand dunes between the Hellholt and Vaith and so yeah so deep desert in almost there and north is the same story yeah, so the Ullers are just surrounded by desert and their water supply is sulfurous yeah so the first men wanted wanted nothing to do with the brimstone <laughs> nothing at all you can see on the map look at that the deep sands the red dunes when you see it that way you're like okay i get why no one settled there for a long time and you might have gotten why no one ever settled there if no one ever did but these Ullers are well they're a little different and that's why they're pretty hardcore So think about this though. You think about where this first Andal lord, this this Uller came from. He's the first guy. Well, remember they didn't cross the land bridge. The land bridge was gone by the time the Andals came. The Andals started up in Andalos, which is northwestern Essos. It's close to like (laughs) bravos so the opposite end basically. So this guy came all the way from there, and then went all the way to Dorne and into the deep deserts. Like here's where I'm building a castle. (laughs) Like that. That guy had a long journey. He. You could have a really cool story behind all that like how he even learned of the existence of the spot he's like you know what i'm gonna go build a house out in the desert maybe he really liked hot weather
2: <laughs> who knows maybe he didn't really even like that spot he was just too tired to keep looking for another
0: spot <laughs> he's like this yellow river, whatever, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that's a that's a while like thousands of years of andals coming over and it still was took this long for someone to finally say, okay, I'm gonna build here, but, but, but I get it. I mean, this is a very hardcore guy who started this all off. And he was hardcore enough to survive apparently because his descendants, they didn't say, nah, wh- what was our founder thinking? They were like, yeah, let's keep it going, y'all. It's, it's, it's fine, you know? So there was another family in the general vicinity at some point, we don't know if it was before or after, but there was a guy called King Lucifer Dryland, Lord of Hellgate Hall. And he was one of the native Dornish kings sent to the wall by Nymeria during her conquest. So they may have been there already, just farther north, but not on the brimstone. You can see the ruins there. Uh, I guess it is on the brimstone. Maybe at the headwaters there. It's a little, yeah, maybe right where it opens up. So maybe they were up in the mountains of where the, hell, where the, the river, the brimstone emanates. But this is very speculative at this point. So that person's gone. That house is gone now.
2: What was that name again? Lord Lucifer?
0: Dryland. Lord of the Hellholt or something? No, Lord of Hellgate Hall. So oh, yeah, another yeah. hell word. We got a Holt and the Hellgate Hall. So this, this land is very hellish. I'm saying
2: it sounds like that name was one of our patron names. It sounds like something.
1: <laughs> I mean, you come across a yellow sulfurous river and tell me you don't just decide like, okay, we're embracing the hellish nature of the landscape. <laughs> like, I think it's all based on the Brimstone. Yeah,
0: I and mean, this dude's named Lucifer too. I mean, George really leaned into the hell yeah, think, stuff here. <laughs> yeah, I think it's
1: more so George leaning into it than the Dornish necessarily like a- I think george was kind of doing that <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah so dryland really tells you a lot too like that's that's not that's like a stark name where it just tells you exactly what it is like forester you know <laughs> <laughs> so that that's that's pretty straightforward i think so maybe they had uh well they definitely had another name first it wasn't called the Hellhold at first it got renamed we don't know what the original name was there was like an orange wedding of sorts and
1: the egg hole
0: the egg because it
1: smells like egg when it's dust, you know They're and, like mm.
0: an egg had a similar ending egg, you know because he burned <laughs> to death at summer hall <laughs> oh, which is what happened here <laughs> to yeah, get this the castle wedding game. is talking
2: about i don't know this story
0: yes he locked a but. yes i'm glad you asked sean yeah so a bunch of the, the the lord of the not yet called hellholt lord Uller, invited a bunch of local lords to come have dinner at his hall whereupon he locked them all in it and burned it <laughs> so <laughs> yeah right. right so then it got the name the hellhole so yeah orange wedding because flames right yeah you know the ash wedding <laughs> whatever you want to call it yeah uh that's a hardcore name hardcore way to earn it maybe not hardcore so much as murderous but it's still you know it fits you think maybe the twins will get renamed after since the red wedding <laughs> happened like it's no longer we don't call it the twins anymore it's the the murder bridge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And this would not be the only time the Hellhole hole was burned. I mean, it's got it. It's with a name like that. It just, just kids spontaneously catches fire every 50. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it doesn't do that. But it is probably the only time the elders did it themselves. The other times that it got burnt, which are not stories that are off. Uh, not for us to tell today. But yeah, <laughs> it's a castle that's been burned more than once. So. Anyway, we don't know their house words, but a common phrase about them is half the others are half mad and the others are worse. <laughs> Nina uh, suggested tempered by fire. Nina loves to come up with house words for houses that don't have them. I like that one a lot. It fits. It's, it, it, it's very well, it's, it is very fitting. It, it's like perfectly fitting, really. I was thinking it might be,
2: ah, I'm on fire.
0: Ah! <laughs> Maybe that's their house words. Our words are, ah, yeah. <laughs> It's like Quentin, whatever. Yeah, like Quentin Marcel. I, I was thinking
1: it could be ours is the stink.
0: Ours is the stink, <laughs> They probably yeah, all
1: smell <laughs> like the sulfur river.
0: <laughs> eggs, bird, yeah, eggs and, e- eggs and fire. <laughs> Not blood and fire, eggs and fire, yeah. <laughs> so. Do they have some sort of gene that keeps getting passed down that makes them half mad? Is it like something they actually select, unnaturally select? for? Like We want the mad ones to be (laughs) those ones that that are in charge, like some strange reverse situation here. Or or is it the sulfur? Is it the sulfur in the water that's messing with them? Because they've adapted to it. Clearly, they can drink it on some level or at least use it. But when the Tyrell army was there or Reach army was there, they got sick. Not from the water, because they weren't going to drink that. They're like, no, we know better than to drink that. But from the fish, they got out of it. That made them sick. So talk about an adaptation. It's not for visitors. This is not a touristy (laughs) type of thing. You're like, yeah, eat the local food. No, do not eat the local. Bring your own food. Stay as short of time as you can. I mean, remember the quote I just read? It's grim and stinking, which is, yeah, the sulfur does that. Yeah. So maybe, yeah, like, you have, like, this reputation, Nina points out. You'd have to be a crazy to live in a place like that. And then that enhances the notion that they're crazy people. But it isn't quite that simple. We know that there's, I'm sure there's been some, some sweet, soft ullers over the years. Maybe not a lot of them, but, <laughs> and given that they're a noble house, you could survive. Like, if you're born sweet and soft living out in the desert, that's probably not going to work out so well. But if you're a noble house that has a little bit of, you have a little bit of privilege backing you up, then, you, you know, you might be able to get away with it so yeah rotten eggs is a common comparison to sulfur the smell
1: yeah Uh, i don't know if any of y'all have been to some sulfur hot springs which also raises the question if they have a sulfur river do they have a hot springs by them as well um because that is kind of common i think i don't know if i don't know if all sulfurous bodies of water have hot springs but in california i used to go to um warner hot springs which is the sulfur hot spring and so i associate that smell with like relaxation and like Good time. I, I smell the rotten egg sulfur smell, and it just is a good association for right me. <laughs> so when they say grim and stinking, I'm like, I don't know. They might have a hot spring <laughs> <laughs> in the night, which you might be like, oh, well, it's desert. Who cares? Well, we just talked about how cold it gets at night. Those the hot, hot spring at night nice. could be quite nice, actually. That's
0: a great point. The winter, the the hot springs at Winterfell also I maybe mean, have some of that that smell. But yeah, no they might talk about it being stinking. They're like, oh, this brings us life, and the, when it's cold. Yeah, and they pipe it through the walls. You know, yeah, maybe, yeah. <laughs> and that's a great point like turning a weakness into a strength is is the next part i wanted to bring up here which is that maybe quite possibly the ullers have found a way to to make good on this sulfur sulfur is a valuable uh material it's it's a valuable substance it's used in medicine even now it's not just an ancient medicine although it's used less than it was because it's, it's it's not a cure all it was used more often in ancient times but it's still used now quite a bit and it's a fertilizer which might explain part of how they're able to survive there. They're able to, like, take some crappy land, use the proper amount of sulfur on it, and it might produce some, some crops or something like that. And they might be able to harvest it and sell it, sell sulfur like they, they might be sulfur traders. That might be what this Andal guy was thinking. He's like, you know what? Yeah, sulfur is pretty useful. We could make a profit off of that. That might have been his angle in the first place. Or part of it. I doubt it was the whole picture. But it, it may have been like, that's another pro, and we can sell sulfur. <laughs> Maybe he was a blood magician and needed sulfur for his spells. Ooh, yeah, it's possible. You never know. So as Nina was saying, not all not all Ulers are violent or half mad. Ilaria Sand. Now, if you're thinking of TV show Ilaria Sand, then that's just she's just another one in the column of ultra-violent vindictive. But look version Ilaria is the exact opposite of that. She is an open advocate for ending the cycles of revenge, not just despite the death of her lover, Oberyn, but because of it, in part because of it, she's like, look, this is what happens. Even him, even the Red Viper, an incredible warrior, an incredible man, a talented guy, even he ends up dead because of these cycles of revenge. Right. And she's like, I don't want my family, my daughters, his children to be caught up in that. Her daughter Elia is in the Arian T'wow chapters, and she takes more after her father. So, <laughs> we've got another aller blooded person that's uh, taking stage here. So, yeah, Elia might be half mad. She's very. She is a little. Uh, uh, seems unwise to danger, <laughs> given what we see in her sh- of her in that short time. Arian planned to crown Marcella at the Hellholt not just because of her family connections and Oberyn's death, but because of how difficult it would be for anyone to assault the Holt. Like who's gonna bring an army there? That's, that's something you gotta think twice about. To think it could have been the Mercelle Holt, but no, not. So, but even Ariane decided, actually, maybe that's not a good idea. The Ellers might be too dangerous. <laughs> so there you go, that's pretty hardcore. So all this reminds us, they're a fairly major house. Despite their terrible location, they've still managed to become very powerful and they're gonna come up in Fire and Blood when we get back to that as well. And of course, in the Song of Ice and Fire. So their choice of home in a different light could have been a mark in their favor, something that marks them as tough. It's like, hey, it must be a tough, it must be hard to survive out there. Instead, it marks them as unnatural. It's like, you gotta be crazy to live there. They don't. It's not a mark of respect after all. It's like, oh, they're just crazy weirdos, you know? And, uh, but that's in world, not my opinion. <laughs> I think they're hardcore. Sean, what do you think?
2: Yeah, I think so. and. Uh... I also, kind of like you were saying, it's it's turning a weakness into strength. It's who wants to conquer them, right? Like, if you have to be crazy to live there or if it stinks really bad, they're a little bit safer from invasion or whatever. So Good point, good point.
0: So, O'Shea, what do you think? Pretty hardcore, huh?
1: The hardest, of course. The hardest, of course.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And that's a good point because for the rest of this episode, as we go through more houses, which we have less detail on. This one we took, spent the most time on, but that was sort of by design because they're the bar. Can anyone else live up to this? Can anyone match House Uller for hardcore osity Can they, anyone else be harder than than the hardcore that they are? We'll see. I think some will get close. One or two might even be able to match them. One or two might be able to pass them, but we'll see. That'll be up to you. Mormont <laughs> Mormons <laughs> Mar- <laughs> Mar- is a possibility and they are in this episode. So and but you got to keep in mind when we're judging them that because we have more info on the Ullers that might be part of why we see them as more hard car. Like if we knew more about some of these other houses, we might say, "Oh, actually, that that does put them on even footing." But it is a matter of opinion. Ultimately, it does. There's no scoring system we have here, so it's up to y'all. You let us know. We're very open to comments on this one, even more than usual. Philip Plus says, sends a super chat and says, "Who would you be more scared to make an enemy of, House Uller or House Bolton?" I mean, it's hard to imagine. Like, depends on where I live. I'd, I wouldn't want. To, I think House Bolton's reach is farther, but. And I would definitely less rather be caught by them. Their method of doing harm is far more intimidating. But, like, they aren't, like, a super group of tough guys. You know what I mean? Like, they're dangerous because of their cultural attitudes, but they're not, like, known for their, like, the the Boltons don't stand out as particularly tough in winter versus the rest of the north or anything like that at least not the ones we've seen
2: yeah just because they do mean things to their prisoners doesn't mean they are tough right they, yeah they would be scared of getting flayed also
0: <laughs> right like i would think a uller would handle torture better than a bolton if it's if, if it's turned around on them yeah like i think an i think an uller would survive longer in the desert without supplies than a bolton would in in the cold maybe maybe not that's still just a guess like this is where we know very few boltons right <laughs> like, we know like one and a half or one and two halves. We know Ramsey's a half Bolton, and we know we know a little bit about Domerick. But we, we don't even have a we hardly have any women Boltons, for example. There are some like historically, but we know so little about them. So yeah it's interesting we know more about House Bolton, but we know more about the people of House Uller, I think, which is kind of an interesting quirk of this of this analysis here. All right. Moving on to the next one, House Corgyle, House of of Castle Sandstone. There are decent comp here because they live so close by so they have a lot of the same factors more art on screen here look at the three scorpions which are the sigil of house Corgyle. three black scorpions on a field there so if the Ullers can claim to be hardcore for living in the deep deserts of dorn a fair claim of course far from the sea or other major settlements with only a tainted water supply for a river well then the Corgyles can arguably go one further they have no river at all tainted or otherwise, and are even farther west than the hellhole, while being even farther from the sea and other houses. So they're definitely more remote, I'd say. That, but that by itself doesn't make them more hardcore. And apparently they have plenty of scorpions. Those scorpions aren't just an affectation for fun. Dorne is known for its scorpions and is a reminder of something that probably bothers the Ullers as well and a lot of other Dornish is that some of the local fauna is quite deadly. Scorpi- Scorpions like this are killer. They're dead. They are, They will. This their venom alone can mess you up pretty bad, if not kill you. Like the others, the Corgiles are Andal founded. They they, as that quote said that share read a little while back. They found a well in the deep desert, and then fortified it. They're like, oh, there's the only well for fifty leagues. It's ours. This is very like Dune, like where the water is tightly locked down, and because the water is locked down by one house, they have probably outsized authority over the over the region as compared to most lords do over their region like control of the water like that's the most life-giving most vital thing there is and if you're the only one with with water with water supply you really do just basically decide who lives and who dies so i think this is maybe an unnoticed factor of house Corgyle um and yeah. Uh, so I think they're more, probably more authoritative than most, which doesn't necessarily make them more hardcore, but it does make them fearsome. If you're in
2: a region that has a big lake or a river or it rains all the time, you can't control the water. But if you're in the middle of the desert and there's a well and you control it, yeah, that's a, a unique position to be in. Yeah.
0: That's power. That's more powerful than gold. Yeah. So, and there are things that this would also apply to the Ullers and a lot of other Dornish, including the people of High Hermitage, these other mountain houses that we're not sure about such as we mentioned high altitude but there's also things like the adaptation to thirst there's a solid body of evidence that a component to thirst is psychological aka it's called anticipatory thirst it's really interesting it's like because water is so important to our survival deep in our subconscious and in our higher brain functions like way up in our higher brain functions we're thinking about where our next drink is coming from so if you're a desert person you know where the wells are, you know where your friends are, you know, you've got, you don't have water anxiety. A, you're more adapted. B, you know where the sources are. But if you're an army marching into a hostile territory where you don't know where the water is, you might have water in your canteen right now, but you're thinking ahead to next week already. That's a major thing. And it makes you more thirsty right then. So you go through your water faster because of this water anxiety. And think about this on the scale of an entire army. like. They're just not going to have enough water, and the tr- the leader, the general, the army leading this like a Tyrell or a Hightower or somebody, they don't know this. <laughs> they're just like all bravado. They're like, we're going to fight the Dornish, you know, our ancient enemies. We're proud and brave, and they're not thinking about thirst, but they should be. They really should be because it's the biggest weapon they're going to face. It's the biggest enemy that that's facing them. The Dornish aren't their bigger, isn't the bigger foe than the sun, <laughs> as as Daron I wrote in his Conquest of Doran book. So, yeah. Like a Reachman army disappeared between the Hellholt and the Vaith once. But uh, as I just said, the sands between the Hellholt and Sandstone are even deeper <laughs> and and sparser. So, hmm, Yeah. So these, these houses that live in the deep sands, they would be acclimated to this. They would be better at managing thirst. They wouldn't be as anxious about where their next drink is coming from. And so that gives them a huge home field advantage. It allows them to travel farther and faster, especially if you combine that, at, at that altitude stuff. Like they can handle, they can run farther and faster because they need less oxygen and they don't need as much drink, much water. They're like camel, they're like camel people. <laughs> Which by the way, Camels don't exist in Dorne, but they do exist in the world. Uh, they will exist in like Karth and, and Easter that. What's a camel centaur? Whoa. A, cam, a camtar. Camtar? A... <laughs> I like it.
2: Yes, camtar. You know, by the way, there, there are horses we'd be better adapted to.
0: <laughs> they are. And that's an explicit part of the world building. The, sand, the sand steeds are the best horses in Westeros. Like, remember, Dunk was given one. He was like, no, this is too nice for me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was one. He's like, no, I, this is no. This is too fancy. No, I like my like this is more my style here. Like that horse is like, oh, someone's going to steal that from me or something. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, it's like walk It's like a hedge knight walking around with a crown. Like, it just doesn't look right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like a dude who a, a dude who has a, in a minimum wage job driving a Ferrari. It just doesn't seem right. You know, like he's like, yeah, I can't even pay the up. I can't even pay for the repairs on this thing. You know,
2: <laughs> insurance.
0: <laughs> yeah, the insurance. Yeah, forget about it. Right. <laughs> So deserts, obviously, we talked about the heat and the cold there and like just some basic ideas of how hot and cold it can get since it's even probably an even bigger deal for for the corgiles in the Sahara Desert, which is not the exact parallel here, but it's it's it gives us an idea. It can go all the way up to like 120 Fahrenheit in the summer, which is 49 Celsius down to like zero Fahrenheit, negative 18 Celsius in the winter. So this gives you an idea of how dramatic the spread is now westeros is funny because its seasons are every three months but it still should give us a guideline um of what it basically is like about how hot it is what temperatures they are acclimating to what temperatures like an invader would have to deal with
2: even when you have regular seasons you can still get a variation you know atlanta or denver in the summer can be 110 or 40 you know the, the coolest part of night at the coolest part of summer can still be pretty cool and that's a 50 degree temperature range, so Doran could have that too, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: Whatever the seasons may be. So it's difficult to build, build a castle in, in an environment like this, but it's been done, like in the real world. Think about like Machu Picchu and the pyramids and Stonehenge and these things that were built, like they're not a castle, Stonehenge isn't a castle, but like the pyramids, like feels like they could have, there's tunnels and, <laughs> inside and it's way bigger than most castles. So it doesn't seem beyond them, at least in some way, at least most aspects of it. Uh, but a sixth of all humans on planet earth live in a desert so yeah it's just not that uncommon after all right i know technology of course helps a lot with that now like it, you probably one sixth of humans didn't live in the desert a thousand years ago but maybe they did i don't know i didn't that
2: sad i didn't look up and i'm not sure how i would find it it's worth noting a desert is defined by uh you know rainfall and so there's a rain every desert isn't just barren sand dudes to the horizon like the sahara sahara so
0: like new mexico is a desert but it doesn't, you know, there's not like sand dunes everywhere. It's just like yeah. kind of sparse, kind of red. It looks nice, you know, like Arizona, similar. There's
2: trees and flowers and cactus, you know, you don't get as much grass or, you know, as maybe it's maybe yeah. more limited vegetation, but not no vegetation. So
0: one thing in the conquest that's coming that we haven't gotten to in Valaritas is how the Dornish just get to just run away. And this is part of, because they're desert people. This is a real life thing. Desert folk tend to be nomadic. Desert folk tend to bring their livestock with them. This is how the Dornish were able to, easily pick up and move because it's already sort of part of their culture. They're already more mobile in the first place. Another important adaptation for desert folk, maybe this is too deep in the weeds, but I can't help myself, lactase persistence, which is the ability to digest milk as an adult. All kids, for the most part, not all, but almost all kids start off with the ability to digest milk, like you, you're taking mother's milk in. But, but the genes, for that the, the, our ability to do that w- falls off when we're like six or seven years old, unless you have this gene. There's huge variations of the lactase gene in the real world right now because it's fairly new, uh, evolutionarily speaking. It's only a few hundred years old. Actually, that's not true. It's more like 10 to 5,000 years old, but it's, that's still pretty small for evolution. We're talking millions of years, right? Greek, for example, the Greek population is, only has about 17% uh, lactase persistence, whereas Irish, 100%. Like uh, pretty much every Irish person has lactase persistence. They live around cattle. There's lots of, they have, like Ireland has some of the best dairy products in the world. Like having been there, I can attest to that. It's so good. But Greeks, Greece, they don't deal in cattle nearly as much. They deal more in like sheep and goats and and other things. So uh, it just wouldn't have developed there. So it's still very much a a thing happening in our real world right now. So you would think that the Dornish, they drink more milk than a lot of other places. The Dothraki drink milk, mare's milk. They're very adapted to it because it's part of their culture but uh you know if you find like a lot of probably other westerosi probably not that you probably have trouble with it
1: they lack taste <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> that's right. <great. laughs> good one good one so and desert folk tend to be better at operating at night now, it isn't necessarily their eyes are better but their eyes are more trained because they operate at night because it's so hot during the day <laughs> you're like well let's sleep during the hottest time of the day when it's like impossible to go out and get anything done so they're just more practiced at doing things at night. So it's just more comfortable operating at night. And uh, we don't know what the Hellhold or the sandstone are made out of, but mud, brick, stone, more of the mud and the brick probably than stone, but, but probably not the hellhole or the sandstone. Like probably more of the local structures are made of mud and brick, but hellholt and sandstone themselves probably aren't mud castles. They're probably made of, or brick even, they're probably stone, but I don't know. I don't know for sure.
2: They're made out of sulfur and blood.
0: <laughs> Eggs. Yeah, right. Like, yeah, see we'd have I to have wondered. a little more knowledge about what kind of rocks. Like I know there's a lot of like like I looked up the the the, the world wonder, modern world wonder Petra, which is a really f- amazing carved city with this beautiful front that's in a ravine and it's been there forever and people have lived in the area since like 7000 BC. So like yeah, whatever the local stone is is probably Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I guess we hear, I mean, we hear about red sands and I guess it would be more yellow stones. And
0: yeah, so this is, yeah, this is something that, um, seems pretty likely that they didn't like, like a lot, like some very few castles like the Vale where they brought marble in from a whole nother region because they didn't like the local marble like they didn't have that kind of cash at (laughs) for founding their castle i don't think i
1: also wonder what kind of materials (laughs) would have would be best for the climate what keeps it
0: cooler maybe if there's anything like that like absorbing or deflecting sunlight yeah good point yeah if they had choices they might have gone with that if they they may not have had a lot of choice like well whatever the local strong stone is we just have to use that uh so This, as you might have guessed or thought about or knew already, this is the location of the famous scorpion from the ceiling incident, the scorpion house with the scorpions from the ceiling. It all fits, right? They wanted to do something that rang throughout the ages and it would match up with their sigil to make it even more memorable, and so it was. Now, earlier we mentioned how growing up in a tough climate makes you tough, even if it's a different kind of toughness than other climates, like uh, for example, Who was the Lord Commander at the start of the books? Gior Mormont. The Mormonts are on our list today. The Mormonts are tough, and he comes from that region, basically, the the north, where it's cold. He was very adapted to that climate already. But the Lord Commander before Mormont was a Corgyle. We don't know if he was the Lord of Sandstone. He was just a Corgyle. We have no idea if he was, you know, how high-ranking he was. But he was from that house, and he died about ten years before Song of Ice and Fire began, so not that long ago. Yeah, so he rose to the top in an environment, in a region, in a place that requires toughness. The Night's Watch, like, toughness plays there. And he, he rose to the top just like Gior Mormont did. So that's very telling. You got people that come from tough home environments that you put them in a, in a place where there's a lot of people that are in a tough spot, and they rise to the top of that because they're among the toughest. Tells you a lot about Sandstone, tells you a lot about these Corgiles Ober and Martell, fostered at Sandstone. He's got connections to this, two of these toughest houses. <laughs> a wife and kid, uh, one of his lovers, and several of his children are, are Ullers, and he himself was fostered at, the, at Sandstone. So, yeah. What do you think uh, on this one, Sean? Just as hardcore as the Ullers, or maybe a little less, or even a little more, maybe? Oh, it's kind of hard to say, huh? Uh,
2: I'm going to say, I think
0: the sulfur puts him over the top. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and the, the, the fiery history... <laughs> yeah, they got more of the vibe, even if it's some of it's just marketing, you know? <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> they definitely, it's accounts, it, it like reputation matters, you know? What do you think, Ashea? How does Korgal stack up for you versus Uller?
1: I would rather live where the Ullers live okay so if that makes them less hardcore i don't i don't know kind
0: of does but yeah. like
1: i maybe it makes me more hardcore oh okay that's another you way to look, look at, at it yeah. like that i'm not sure you're
2: just saying it because you think there's a spring there
1: that is why i'm saying <laughs> it. And I, like, I, I mean even if there's no spring i think i would enjoy this the smell i'm sorry to sound like a freak <laughs> <laughs>
0: So we've got a lot more to come. Let's take a short break. Amanda Molino sends a super chat, says, I have to send some thanks because I learned so much from this podcast that is not Westeros related. Well, we thank you for that. I, I do try to do I, I don't I hesitate to call it research, because it's really just looking things up. I think research is is generally kind of that term is thrown around all too much. Research is is a little more involved than just looking some things up. But I do try to be accurate. I do try to like bring in real world stuff. And I think that does give a little, I think that adds a little something. And I enjoy doing that. I, I'm glad to hear that you all, at least some of you all do.
1: It wasn't research. It was first search.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Several comments on the Neanderthal stuff here and some other things. Lauren Quigley says, we beat Neanderthals due to their group size, we think. They were better adapted at cold weather with their stocky bodies and big noses and had bigger brains than humans. The human groups were bigger and more chances to communicate, breed, and have ideas. Yeah, like I said, there's competing theories and that doesn't mean that and of course, it isn't necessarily only one of these can be right. It can be some of both. Uh, so and yeah, like I said, most of what I got is just from reading pretty basic scholarly articles or just Wikipedia. So I'm definitely not going to be like, no, you're wrong because <laughs> I, I have no basis for certainty here. Uh, so I think we should take all these things and and keep them in our minds as, as possible or likely or just in the discussion.
2: One thing, if you did do deeper research that you would find is they keep coming up with new discoveries that make them have to reevaluate what they mm, thought. There's yeah. Just- so much more data available now than it was even 10 years ago so.
0: guilty undertaker two great takes here one just to point out that about five percent of modern human dna is from neanderthals and that really de- depends on who you are like there's some groups that are like in the lower like less than one percent where some have a little more than that but yeah we definitely it's d- definitely still out there which is interesting it just lingers that long and guilty undertaker also says even in the fairly wet reach control of water is important as we saw in the sworn sword Great point, I'm surprised I didn't think of that because yeah, that was all about water rights and f- fires starting because there's not enough water and just crops failing for that reason and and how they have to be tough when they're when it's a matter of land and they have to you know be kind of not compromising because that's just the way things are, and
2: yeah, drought even you know it's not necessarily a dry region region where it's normally concern, but when it does become a concern you get a shuffling of power you you gotta reevaluate you know uh Mm. that that's an an edge people who have control over water gain when that time of drought comes and once a drought passes that shift in power has already happened you know has a lasting
0: effect good said good said also want to give a shout out to the show that first inspired me to podcast and is Very much included in the title of this episode, Hardcore History. That's a long-running, very successful history podcast that's existed since the aughts. 2000 aughts, which is very few podcasts existed back then. Dan Carlin is a great podcaster. He stays enthusiastic during multi-hour podcasts, which is something that really inspired me. I'm like, yeah, if you can, you could, like, he's still into it. He's talking about something that he's into. Me too. Like, I love talking about Westeros and the Song of Ice and Fire history and, and current times and so it's easy to be enthusiastic in some ways. So that's part of why I like choose something you're enthusiastic. If you're gonna be a podcaster, choose something that you're enthusiastic about. So you don't have to force the enthusiasm. Just just have it. And he he's also just inspired me to think differently about education. Like enthusiasm really sells things. Like if you want people to, to listen to you, be enthusiastic. Like that's it's a social connectivity. When you're enthusiastic, it's a positive thing. And other people kind of want to listen. I want to listen to the enthusiastic guy, or at least for a minute, maybe he's talking about something I don't care about. But I'm more interested in that that I hear someone in like bemoaning tones or complaining or just like they don't sound very excited. It isn't necessarily they don't have lots of information. Quite possibly they have great information, great things to say. But be honest, presentation matters. Bueller, Bueller. (laughs) Classic example. (laughs) Good one. Good one. Yes. So I uh, most of y'all probably already know about Hardcore History because it's vastly more popular than this show, (laughs) but if you haven't, I do recommend it. It is uh, the biggest inspiration for, for me. Uh, a lot. Some people have noted that my style is a little bit like Dan Carlin's, which makes sense because I've had listened to him for dozens and dozens of hours before I ever heard a second podcaster. <laughs> so <laughs> that's just how it went. And if you want to support our show here, History of Westeros and get access to our bonus episodes and things like that, this is a good time to sign up to be a part of our Patreon because we're going to be in the next few months, doing a lot of episode voting, we're going to, we have Valar for the worlds of ice and fire or for fire and blood, but we're also going to have uh, a whole host of episodes that we get voted on because we're trying to work a lot farther ahead on our schedule. We're usually just a few weeks out on our schedule, but we're trying to get much farther ahead on that. We're going to try to get months ahead on our schedule so that we can prepare more, have more graphics, have more time to ask for feedback ahead of time from y'all we're taking another step we're trying we're always trying to improve our podcast and this is one of those things so uh, and we can only do that with y'all's support
1: and yeah i think it's real fun to get to vote on the topics i mean you get to actually make a difference in what kind of content we create more than anything so i don't know i think it's a pretty great benefit from being on patreon
0: yeah and yeah. it's
1: one that we haven't had as much of in the last six months to a year as we focused on this part of valerina's for fire and blood but I think some of you really liked the voting
0: i agree yeah it does have it has been a lot of fun to see y'all's takes like i'm often surprised at what gets voted in sometimes it's i'm like oh that's sometimes last place is the one i thought would win like i really don't know what to predict sometimes i think i have a handle on this and i'm like no y'all keep surprising me sometimes it goes pretty much what i thought but often it doesn't (laughs) all right let's get back to it now one pattern you might notice We've only covered Dorne so far, but we're not covering all the regions because not all the regions have houses that we would consider hardcore based on our definition of hardcore. And that makes sense because it just, there just is an extreme climate (laughs) and remoteness in the center of the continent, right? The Riverlands, it's not remote anywhere. Maybe the Isle of Faces can be considered remote, but there's no house there that we know of. High Heart is pretty mystical. It's a little bit out there, but it's not really I wouldn't call it remote. It's got cool things like magical, mystical elements. It's hugely important for the story because so many chapters take place there. But the geography isn't extreme by any means. There's it doesn't have the coldest climate. It's probably one of the warmer climates. And yeah, like there's some houses that are kind of hardcore. Like I'll give Sea Guard an honorable mention because of the human element. They were built literally to defend against the Ironborn, which is pretty hardcore. Like your job is to fight Ironborn. You're going to be tough if that's your job, like, or you won't be around very long to do it. But they don't get any points for climate or isolation. So honorable mention, but maybe not quite hardcore. You might argue that fighting the ironborn trumps all those other things, (laughs) but still, it doesn't fit our specific definition today. Same goes for the Westerlands. It has some remote locations given the preponderance of mountains. But there's lots of them, so they can't be that far from each other. They're, they're not that remote, and they're not that cold compared to some of the other mountainous regions. And they have a lot of resources. The, the western mountains are gold and silver rich. Like, Rob goes up into Ashmark, which is pretty semi-mountainous, but he still takes his whole army there, which he wouldn't have done that in Dorne. He wouldn't have just gone all over the place in Dorne. So we know it's, we know it's just easier to get around. To be fair, most armies aren't led by a warg. <laughs> Grey Wind was like one of, is a level up if not three levels up in terms of like how you can move an army around because his ability to sniff out tracks and find ways that aren't there. That's there's a it's comparing things to Rob's army is maybe not fair, but still Grey Wind isn't going to be that much help in a desert. In fact, Grey Wind would be miserable in a desert, (laughs) so we can still say that. Mm -hmm. Nina also mentions a possible honorable mention to House Lefford of the Golden Tooth. Perwin Frey describes it as a hard, strong keep. While it's not completely isolated, it is like on a border and it is high up in the mountains and it seems to be very geared towards fortress and less towards, you know, livable. So that would tend to make it more hardcore in that sense. My other honorable mention is the Bane Fort, which is hardcore for two reasons, one of which isn't really on our main list. The other being that they are proximal to the Ironborn. Very close. They're like on the corner where the west bends around there. It's uh, it's right there. So they're the, probably the closest house to the Iron Islands in the West. And they're in the mountains a bit. And their founder was like a necromancer or something. That's what the, the tales are told that way. The hooded man is was was an old school necromancer. And that's pretty hardcore, I guess. If but I don't know if there's what values they have maintained from their founding necromancer. <laughs> somehow. however long ago that was like 8000 years. So. Uh, that, that may be more like hardcore in their history rather than now. But still, I wanted to throw them out there because that's pretty cool.
2: You know, another potential honorable mention, I was thinking of, uh, you're talking about the Riverlands. I was thinking about House Reed. Being kind of into swamps. That's yeah. You know, they're maybe not quite as limited on resources, but they're pretty remote, and it might deal with some tough creatures and disease, mosquitoes, alligators, or whatever. So
0: they're on the list. They're just part of the north. So you're right to think of them.
2: But but I was thinking there might be other. They're kind of on the cusp, but there might be other. You're right. Swamp living riverland ho- houses. So.
0: That's a good point because because the right. You're right. The twins are like right there, and they're the ones that are always like talking about the re- the the bug, the mud men, and how they're just right there next to them. So you're right. There's like a border in between there. there there would be some people that kind of deal with both or have connections to both talking about the reach like talk about a rich region it's it doesn't work very well for hardcore at all the most remote places, like the arbor and the arbor is super rich and nice and sunny and full of all the wine like we wouldn't call that hardcore we call that a vacation spot that's like one of the softcore it's like so if we're making softcore houses they would be on that list <laughs> <laughs> you might call Alaska
2: or parts of Alaska hardcore but you wouldn't call Hawaii hardcore I don't think that's the vacation spot
0: right <laughs> probably not yeah probably not maybe some parts of it like if you're living on one of the, like the like the islands where there aren't a lot of people maybe yeah uh,
1: or if you were living like up on Mount Ikea or like up on, again, like get a volcano, volcano. Yeah, yeah I would say there are maybe hardcore spots I still think they're relatively less hardcore than than yeah. even any of these I guess yeah yeah, I agree.
0: So, and the Reach, get like like the Riverlands, there's lots of obscure and interesting and mystical places, which we'll have time to discuss it at a later date. But hardcore? Eh, probably not. Stormlands. Stormlands are almost like the West and the Reach and the Riverlands in terms of climate, and they're not that remote. But there is some hardcore weather conditions here that they don't have nearly as much of, and that's storms. It's also more humid, and we, anyone who's lived in wet climate versus dry climate knows that wet is worse in terms of, like, human endeavors and I'll, I'll explain that in a minute if, if you're not already familiar estermont for example is an island and a lot of the most hardcore houses live on islands because they're separate they're, they're they already have a bit of that remote baked in when they're on an island away from the mainland being a house on an island in the narrow sea also subjects you to raiders pirates slavers and and of course being any anywhere in the southern Stormlands subjects you to raids from Dornishmen. Less so the other way. And definitely not so for Uller and, and Corgyle. They're not getting raided by the Stormlands way down in the desert. Northern Dornish houses are another matter, but even they are less susceptible because it's much easier to come out of Dorne into the Stormlands and attack it than it is to go into Dorne and attack it because Dorne is just so difficult.
2: Whoever lived where Storm's End is before Storm's End was there, they were hardcore.
0: They were, and we saw and we, the, the founding legend of Storm's End is the gods kept knocking the castle down, right? It's like that Monty Python thing where like, He built a castle again, and it sank into the swamp. The fourth (laughs) sank into the swamp, but the fourth one, in this case, the seventh one, (laughs) stayed up. Yeah, so that is hardcore. You're continuously building in a stormy land that has already wrecked a castle. You're like, well, I'm going to do it again. Like, yeah, that's hardcore, man. I mean, arguably, it's very stubborn. But hey, it worked. He he pulled it off eventually, or they pulled it off eventually. I don't know if it was the fine
2: line between hardcore and unwise. Yeah, (laughs) yeah,
0: (laughs) true that. So. If you think about that, storms plus raiders, local and from far away, coming by ship from who knows where, that's pretty hardcore. You get a lot of the human problem and a lot of the weather problem. I'd say that counts. The problem here though is, it's similar to the Dornish Mountains scenario. We're not exactly sure which houses have it the worst, which ones are actually at the forefront, which get the brunt of the storms. Like which part of the Stormlands is the stormiest? Not exactly sure. It might be Estermont. It might be Tarth because those are islands and that stands to region reason tends to region the reason. Yeah, actually, that works. Yeah. Anyway, Estermont doesn't seem hardcore from their name. They have a turtle sigil. (laughs) It's like it sounds kind of like nice and unassuming, but actually, yeah, like this is a. You know, they might have fertile crops and fertile land, but like every once in a while, something just rips it all to shreds. Like that's, that's tough. And turtles aren't hardcore; they're hard shell. (laughs) Yes, you did there. (laughs) Yes, you did. Now there's also less adaptation. So we talked about like how some of these cultures, based on where they live, it actually changes who they are in small ways. Like you'd see things like the height or additional body fat or less body fat or darker skin or wider noses, whatever. There'd be less of that here because these are more cultural. Adapting to storms is more of a cultural thing. <laughs> there's not like we're better at storms. Like what part of your body is better at facing storms than other, like that doesn't, there's no evolutionary, evolutionary mechanism there. You know, there's, it's all about just building stronger walls and <laughs> thicker coats or
2: whatever, you, so. Yeah, and in, in, intelligence could allow a culture to learn when a storm is coming to learn how to build better, uh, you know, houses or fortification, things like that. But it's all sort of external from your body things, technology, culture, whatever. Right, yeah. exactly.
0: Yeah, so that's a good point. So the adaptation stuff is very high here. And you're right, that might actually play a long-term role of them being a little, maybe a little cleverer, or maybe a little have a stronger weather sense. Like maybe some stormlanders. there's a higher incidence of my knee hurts, so I know it's going to rain. Like the slight barometric pressure changes, there might be more sensitivity to that in the Stormlands. But once again, we can't. It's hard for us to tie this to a specific house. There aren't any. There isn't necessarily one Stormlands house. Mostly the coastal ones and the southern ones, because southern Dor- Southern Stormlands is more susceptible to the pirates and the Dornishmen, and the coasts. All the coasts around the Stormlands are more susceptible to storms.
2: So, yeah, that is another. I, I guess there is another at least potential you point out, like the your knee hurting or something. We have more than the five senses you always think of like sight, sound smell but there's actually I don't know, a dozen or more we can tell like our equilibrium if we're, what's up and down that's a sense that we have mm. and humidity we can sense and maybe that's even a sub part of your, your olfactory sense but we can detect when the air is more dry or more humid and so when a storm's coming you might be able to feel that right on okay cool you might be more or less in tune to it if it matters to you if a storm's coming right <laughs>
0: yes <laughs> So Sandhelm or Stonehelm, rather, is another one that comes up as a, as a nominee because it's right there at the border with Dorn. It's in the mountains and it's on the co- co- it's close to the coast. So they might get all of the above. They might have mountain altitude adjustment. They might have storm acclimation, the human side of that. They might have Dornish Raiders and pirates and all. So they might they might have like all the things that the Stormlands are emblematic of. Most of the dangers are all there. Uh, but maybe less of the humidity. Now, humidity is a big problem. As I said at the beginning of this section, wet heat is worse than dry heat for humans. Why? Because wet climate, remember what I said about your ability to cool your body? It's through sweating and this, the drying of the sweat is what actually cools you, not the actual sweat. If it's really humid, your sweat doesn't dry. It's pretty easy to understand. So if the the wetter the air, the harder, It is for your sweat to evaporate. Thus, it's harder for your body to be cooled naturally. Water
2: is an evaporative coolant. That's like a Ah. a factor, a characteristic of water. It's an evaporative coolant. And that's why sweat works. We sweat, it evaporates, we cool down. And you're sweating almost all the time. You just don't always see it because it's it's a small mm. amount that evaporates before like it beads up. It beads up when you get really hot,
0: mm. and
2: so your body's trying to cool down a lot, so it emits more more sweat. Or when it's really humid, because the sweat that's being emitted isn't evaporating, so you get sweatier in humidity. But it, it evaporates almost instantly most of the time, especially in drier climates.
0: And it would also ca- it also causes more destruction of like fabric and and other like materials that. The moisture has more, like, some more bacteria and more of these other things. Just, mold
2: and yeah, yeah, mold, fosters yeah, mosquitoes and viruses or whatever. And bacteria. mold, that's a, a
0: great point. Mold is very dangerous, and c- ancient civilizations or semi medieval, whatever we want to call them, civilizations don't have a great understanding of how dangerous mold is. So, there would be, you know, lots of that as a health hazard, you know, in various stone structures, this place and wooden, you know, you would have that building up. And I don't really know what dangerous fauna they have. I don't know, like there's no scorpions probably. There might be some bad spiders. I don't know if there's probably poisonous snakes, but there's, it's so jungly or near rainforesty there that there would be some fauna that aren't in the other central regions like the Reach and and the Riverlands that might be more dangerous. And it's easier to get lost in a a rainforest like that or to, you know, uh, find yourself like, with some unfamiliar plants that might be like poison ivy or something like that, poison oak, the nasty things like that. Minor things that you need to know about. They aren't going to kill you, probably. Well, some of them will, but most of them are just yeah. Just local knowledge is really important. So dehydration is really bad. You would think, well, why isn't dehydration really bad too? Was well, like, yeah, it is. Dehydration will will kill you, but it won't kill you as fast as the inability as as really high humidity. A a statement I read was humans of any kind cannot work if the temperature is above 90 and the ambient humidity is above 95%. You just cannot work in those conditions, like period. You'll drop. You get dehydrated faster because your body keeps trying to sweat to cool down
2: and it's not working, so yeah.
0: Yeah, it's a weird like inverse, like it's wet everywhere, but you're dehydrating really fast because your body is pumping all that out. Yeah, it's it's, it's kind of counterintuitive, but that's how we work. So think about that for Stormland. Apply that to Stormlanders. Lots of people who are uh used to extreme weather but intermittently lots of people who are adjusted to humidity in general lots of people who maybe have strong knowledge of forests because they live near big ones or uh what to do in the event of a storm or when you're on the coast like where to find shelter what the best place to stand is like for example they tell you don't go near a big tree when it's when it's there's lightning out even though like intuitively you might be like ah tree cover Well, that's more likely you're more likely hit by lightning that way so like a stormlander would have more knowledge of things like this which doesn't necessarily make you more hardcore but it does it is interesting uh so stormlanders have to face a lot they have to face a lot of raiders and so they're probably not as i don't think that they're as hardcore as dornish in part because the dornish even though the dornish are part of what makes them hardcore because it's their attacks that that toughen them up a bit but I, i think it's hard to argue that their weather is is worse even though humidity is more dangerous than dry heat because that's that's only one of many factors. It sounds like overall, the Ullers and the Corgals have it worse. But what do you think, Sean? Where, where do you fall on this? Is, is like-
2: I think I'd rather live where there are storms are and try to figure out how to deal with it than live where there is no water. That's what I think. <laughs> <laughs> Florida's more stormland
0: because storm, there's yeah. more storms. Yeah. But we're very close to Florida.
2: There are more people and more cities and more, you know, uh, people are dealing with it better in Florida than they are in Arizona.
0: That's true, that's true. They don't have to, they're more used to it. Yeah, just like when it snowed here in Georgia, we didn't know what the hell to do. Our mayor made this horrible mistake of handled it terribly. Anyway, let's talk about the Vale, a place where snow does fall. Probably one of the few places we've talked about so far where there's some snowfall, although winter can do funny things in Westeros. Most of the Vale I don't think qualifies. It's pretty similar to the Stormlands, the Riverlands, the West, and the Reach. They're pretty well off for the most part. They have fertile territory. The Vale is a little more isolated from the other regions, but it's not very isolated within itself. There's plenty of places to go inside the Vale, and it's large. There's a few isolated areas. There's definitely toughness there because of the mountain clans are a constant danger, and some of them might qualify as hardcore if you're talking about clans. Oh, I'm going to throw in a few honorable mentions, actually. Some of the islands might qualify. The Aaron Kings, the last thing the Aaron Kings did was add the island nations, the, which were Pebble, which Isle, the Paps, and finally the Three Sisters. This was important because because the Vale is isolated from the other regions by the mountains, it needs to have a lot of trade. It's a lot of ships going back and forth doing things. If they don't take care of those islands just off their coasts, those are absolutely gonna turn into pirate kings, raiders, reavers, independent kings. So they gotta lock all that down so they can control the shipping uh the sisters were basically all those things the sisters were nearby lots of pirating lots of disruption of trade wrecking all sorts of negative influence and in many ways they still are those things and more the sisters are pretty devoid of resources pretty poor in farmland didn't have much to begin with but they've also been war torn several times which has made that even worse Basically, they've been caught between bigger powers too many times, or they've taken making, made bad decisions on whose side to take in a greater conflict. For example, they sided with the Blackfires. <laughs> that, was, that wasn't so smart. They tried to go independent during Aegon's conquest. That didn't work out so well either. <laughs> so they've just kind of like, lots of stories like this. And of course there was the Rape of the Three Sisters, which played out over a very long time where the Starks and the Arryns fought over them and just shredded the whole place, all the islands. Even the Iron Islands have more wealth. The Iron Islands have iron, right? They have that, that's one valuable resource that's useful them. the sisters don't even have that. But they have even more incentive to be a pirate. The Ironborn are obviously the more notorious raiding culture we've seen, but the sisters, they actually are near all the ship. The cl- a lot more shipping lanes. They're in the narrow sea, they're close to White Harbor, they're close to Ish, to Gulltown. They're not that far from Braavos. There's a lot more nearby targets. There's a lot more shipping lanes nearby. So the incentive is a lot greater from a proximity standpoint. So this is what they've been is pirates, raiders, wreckers for a long time. This culture has been developed to take rather than produce in part because of their extreme lack of opportunity and self-sufficiency that they can establish there on their homeland. So. It's one of those things where you wish one of those greater powers that had taken it over had done more to develop it so that it would not ever revert to this state because it's, it's very susceptible to that. Not to mention the people are just so used to it. It's so part of their history. Uh, the, to be clear on what wrecking means, if you're not, if, I think we've talked about it a few times, but that's when you put up a false light on a lighthouse and lure people onto the rocks which is the opposite of what a lighthouse is supposed to do. It's supposed to lure, to guide you away from the, around the rocks or towards safety. So uh, bad, obviously. Now, like unlike some of these other places, we've actually seen part of the Three Sisters. Davos has gone there. We saw it and this Lord Borle had a, he's fairly powerful in his region, but he's poor. Like his roof is leaking got bad teeth you know he's got like things that you don't see that often from people with money because he doesn't actually have that much money and they're they have a very per- pervasive culture in that they have been a certain way for a long time and they're stubbornly holding to that because no one's really making them change but they're not really religious that's another difference between them and iron and their religion isn't a big part of it uh there's no obvious adaptations from them i don't think that like they have a lot of storms but like the stormlands that's not something you can really adapt to with your evolution that's more of a cultural adaptation but they do have the the sorcery the the blood magic or the breeding with a fantastical creature in their history the mark the webbed hands and feet that sometimes appear which davos witnesses on lord borel so i'd say that adds to their hardcoreness <laughs> having some genetics from the deep ones perhaps that's certainly the prevailing theory it's certainly my favorite prevailing theory it's pretty cool and creepy so on the other hand um like are they really that tough like they're very aggressive they're very violent maybe they're used to getting by with very little so in that sense they're tough because they probably the average sisterman probably has more like food scarcity in their history and more times where they couldn't eat for a while they may be tougher about surviving without food but the climate stuff, the regional stuff, I'm not as sure about that. What do you think, Sean? I was, I was thinking that I would rather live in the
2: desert than I'd rather live in, with House Oler than with uh, the Three Sisters. But I don't know if that necessarily makes them more hardcore. I just feel like they've been pillaged more, whereas you're less likely to be pillaged. With household, Like no one's kind of gonna move through the deserts to come to your sulfur river and attack your village or your cat, they'll leave you alone. But these islands have been parts of wars over and over again. So I, I, I would feel safer. However hardcore you have to be, what it's however tough it is to live day to day. I feel like I would have a more stable life
1: yeah yeah you could say that that one has a, a lower ceiling but a higher floor there you go that's As a where, way, you know yeah. like you're never it's never going to be as bad at the hell hold as it will and that it's worst at the sisters yeah. but at its best at the sisters it will be better than at the best at the hell holds potentially
0: that's a good point
2: I I'm also hesitant to call them hardcore because they kind of. They're they're working through like unfairness and trickery. Like if they had to, you know, go head to head and battle with someone, I don't know if they would do as well. They put up fake lights and make ships crash and then go pillage them. You know, like, (laughs) "Ah, that's not hardcore. That's deceitful, you know, that's a
0: Yeah, yeah, I think I see where you're coming from there. I I tend to agree. I I think that these guys were worth mention, but I do think that ultimately putting them under the microscope, they're, they're interesting and dangerous. You gotta be wary of them, but hardcore, Maybe not to the definition we've laid out, you know, hardcore in some attitudes, but not based on like their populations, like survivability and all that stuff. So, yeah. yeah. So our definition of hardcore, I don't think they fit, but they might, they would probably fit other definitions of hardcore.
1: If you saw those sisters. (laughs) (laughs) If you saw those.
0: And and you'll. (laughs)
1: Hardcore.
0: And you notice the amalgam here. We're treating them like a, like a monolith when actually there's a few different houses there, but they are, they're fairly similar. As far as we know, we don't have the ability to differentiate them that much. I wasn't. Glossing over that, I just don't know better. Uh, honorable mention to the Burned Men and some of the other clans, but especially the Burned Men. Burning off a piece of yourself to prove your manhood is pretty damn hardcore. I, I, it's kind of unnecessary, maybe, but it's also pretty recent. It isn't like some ancient tradition that they've carried forward. As, as far as we know, this started right after the Dance of the Dragons. This burning of themselves. So, because they're they're an offshoot of the Painted Dogs, who don't have any sort of history like that of. Hacking off a finger, like, yeah, they used to hack off a finger. We burn it off, it's kind of the same, just hurts more, you know. It's just slower, slower, and more painful. And out, oh, yeah, but they, so that's pretty hardcore. And they live in very extreme climate, like, they don't live, they don't have the, the nice parts of the veil aren't open to them. They have to live in the high mountains and the woods. Like, you see Tyrians hanging out with them and how little they have in terms of food and infrastructure and all that. So, to survive in that, you got to be pretty hardcore. I think they're not a house. Yeah, I was gonna say, I don't know if you
2: count them as a house, but I think they might be the most hardcore so far. We might not have as much okay. detail or information or history on them, but I think that living in a pretty, a relatively harsh remote environment and being borderline persecuted and choosing to hack off body parts to prove yourself, like all that combined, I think that's putting them on par with anyone else. I'd, yeah, that's a pretty
0: good argument the iron isles the ironborn are a tough people overall but the entire region doesn't qualify as extreme right the entire region doesn't maybe a lot of it does so we'll, we'll highlight a few of the more uh, extreme houses here or maybe one in particular really contrary to popular belief not everyone on the islands is poor that's another thing it's, it's like the, yes a lot of them are because it's sort of like the three sisters in that there's not a lot of local opportunity there's fishing there's iron mines <laughs> there's trade but you you gotta have a ship for that, right? You can't just, I'm gonna be a trader, you know? <laughs> you, you gotta, like, find a way into that business or be born into it, maybe. Just like the Stormlands and just like the Three Sisters, storms are a big problem in the Iron Islands. They have a whole god who is their, basically their devil, their Satan is the storm god, so they clearly have a negative view of storms, which makes a lot of sense, given how much their culture depends on sailing and coastal living and things like that. Uh, but, you could say they're remote in some ways, but not that remote. They're not that far from the from the mainland. And they are they're this is sailing culture. So in a, in essence, it's not that remote for them. They have pretty easy access back and forth because they do so much sailing. It's not like a desert where. No matter how you cross it, it's going to be hard, like there's no way across. You, you have a way across the sea on a ship or you don't. <laughs> you can't it's, it's really there is all there is to it. One
2: thing that usually goes hand in hand with remote is unexplored, unsettled, uh, you know, unknown. But that's not really the case for Iron Islands, right? there it, aren't like these islands that no one's ever been to. They're all, they've been settled and civilized and mapped out. That I think that, you know, kind of like you were saying, they're not really remote, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. With an exception or two, which is this house, Farwind slash Lonely Light. There is a, also, by the way, a house Farwind of Sealskin Point, which is on Great Wick, but This is the one we're going to focus on. A much smaller and farther out spot as described here, quote.
1: A secondary island grouping lies eight days' sail to the northwest in the Sunset Sea. There, seals and sea lions make their rookeries on windswept rocks too small to support even a single household. On the largest rock stands the keep of House Farwind, named the Lonely Light, for the beacon that blazes atop its roof day and night. Queer things are said of the far winds and the small folk they rule. Some say they lie with seals to bring forth half human children, whilst others whisper that they are skin changers who can take the forms of sea lions, walrus, even spotted whales. The wolves of the western seas, spotted whales are probably orca, aren't they? Yeah, the wolves <laughs> of the western sea I love that.
0: That's a great quote. It's like you yeah.
1: know, chicken, chicken of the, <laughs> of the sea.
0: The wolves of the sea chase, chase the chicken of the sea. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you've ever witnessed a, a herd of sea chickens fleeing from <laughs> a, a sea wolf, it's really put it on your bucket list. <laughs> so house farwind has a claim to be the most remote of any house under the domain of the iron throne and as the quote says they're certainly the westest in westeros they are the westerish westerishness of westeros yeah you can see them on the map here sort of it's not even on the maps it's sort of on the map it has to be like one of those things where a lot of times you see a u.s map and hawaii and alaska are like separately put in a corner because they don't want to show all of canada so that's kind of what we have here lonely lights kind of like that this is the alaska hawaii of westeros where it's too far off the map to fit now given what's been said about them like they lie with seals to bring forth half human children think about how that's a very similar line they lie with the others to create half human children uh of the free folk it's said about them it's almost the same line but substitute seals for others (laughs) you know Uh, either way you get skin changers that's the idea that's being pushed here is that some of the far winds are skin changers which is so cool because it makes sense that there would be skin changers elsewhere in the north i mean we have some examples historically like in the reach and elsewhere but that seems to have died out now but it seems to still linger in house far wind which makes sense on the like genetic scale where you these guys are inbreeding a lot probably because they live (laughs) eight days sail from the iron islands which are already pretty out of the way right so they're just a single household is all it supports where are they finding new brides like who wants to go live there like yes i can go live in the remotest place in westeros where people are said to lie with seals yeah i'll go marry into that house like they probably have a hard time attracting new brides which given their origins as ironborn they've probably stolen quite a few brides over the years sean's yeah, like yeah. that's where there is an answer to that question unfortunately they are <laughs> ironborn let's not forget that the little we've seen of them they come off as dreamy and weird but that's just the one guy we see at the king's moot there's it's we can't use that sample size of one to think that they're all like that there's probably been some more violent guys or more outwardly aggressive seeming far winds think about the the ultimate far wind the ultimate far wind would be like a what would we call them a cthulhu viking skin changer (laughs) like whoa like think of the advantage if you can skin change into a whale you could just swim up to shore see this the settlement see that it's undefended go find another ship to attack like your range for finding things to pirate to pirate on to, to attack or just swim to the drown God's watery halls and check out the ocean floor. Like, Whoa, that's weird and cool. Like this, some of it may not even be quite be hardcore, but it's really cool. So that's, we got to decide what's creepy cool and what's hardcore.
1: I see. I really wonder about the breathing part of it, you know, like like I think about like the the skin changing dreams and stuff like w- would would they wake up like feeling like they were drowning ever, you know like or would they wake up and like if, when they breathe air that feels like drowning like they're choking on the air I don't oh, know how would that affect cool. your, your, you yeah this
0: is good good imagination here Shay or like <laughs> what if you what if you wake up having been a Kraken you're like I, I had 10 arms in a minute.
1: Yeah, oh. <laughs> yeah yeah you're like trying to yeah
0: like where are the other arms like I'm trying to grab my cup of water by bedside with an arm that doesn't exist
1: <laughs> yeah it is just it is way different having different limbs than yeah the, the skin changers we know with they've skin changed relatively similar physiologically creatures like another mammal yeah you know, yeah you know, like it's just those are more similar than birds
2: birds are kind of maybe as uh, as different
0: as sea creatures Ooh.
1: yeah we don't see them thinking a lot about flapping or their wings yeah. or the beaks or about the differences but
0: but that is a good call sean because when uh varamir is having his thinking about skin changers he he was taught that bird skin changers are different they they moon a lot they just stare up at the sky
1: yeah. They are
0: becoming more bird like they want to go back up there. It's like it is becoming part of them. So but this yeah. line of thinking is very accurate. Like Rob gets a little more wolfish, yeah. you know, and they 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 do sort of merge. Like the, the wolf, Grey Wind becomes a little more like Rob, but Rob becomes a little more like Grey Wind. And so this should apply to other skin changes. Yeah, he becomes more like a Kraken or a... Whale, whale yeah or a bird like a seabird that would be pretty valuable too for all most of the same things we've described like searching out scouting out I'm your just, enemies I'm sorry
1: but i'm just picturing it all of a sudden you just like fill your mouth with water and you just spit water right <laughs> <laughs> like a whale
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah just blow hole someone like gotcha. <laughs> <Blow> hole. <laughs> <laughs> like taking this to the extreme a really powerful farwind skin changer could skin change into a whale and like ram a ship with it, like actually control it to doing like uh, its full capacity or skin change into a Kraken and pull it under, you know, crazy stuff like that. That
2: is this type of stupid aggressive thing an Ironborn would do. What they could <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> do is like tell when and where storms are forming and what directions they are going and provide safe harbor and save lives and increase commerce, but instead they destroy something in.
0: <laughs> Yep, yep, that's the whole, and this is, part of the hardcore aspect that does not exist with the sisters which is that their religion tells them to do these things it enforces these beliefs it's like you won't get to heaven unless you die in combat against someone who isn't of our religion the sisters don't have that like backing them up they're more just about oh, we're desperate we gotta steal because otherwise we'll die you know the ironborn have a little bit of that but it's more like no this is the right way to live it's justified it's for it's pushed it's like it's
2: it's a convenient excuse, if you ask me.
0: <laughs> it is. I, I kind—I of, tend to agree, but but they don't see it. They don't see it that yeah. way. Like they aren't like this is just an excuse for me to be violent. Like I'm, <laughs> but I'm not going to tell anyone. No, they really—they like live and breathe it. I think, especially someone like Victorian, you know, or, or Aaron, even more so. Yeah, some clearly live and
2: breathe it more than others. Asha, yeah. not so much. What? Who's the Roderick the Reader? Not so much. You know. Not so,
0: yeah, there's absolutely exceptions, which is why we can't paint the whole culture this way either. Uh, I, I mean, Asha, you could say is fairly hardcore, like she's tough and strong and, and does brave things, but I don't, but you know, maybe not to the level of the Ullers or or the Farwinds maybe. And this, and again, using the definition we've laid out. And uh, yeah, and Gilbert Farwind, the guy we see at the King's Mood, he also promises to lead everybody West and says, you know, there's lands there, we can go to them. And, and you think, well, if anyone would know that, like maybe is skin, is skin changing and like taking your whale all the way west, and like just seeing, yeah, I really did see it through the, a whale's eyes or through a seabird's eyes or something like that. They really did see these far lands. Maybe they don't have an idea just how far it is, but this is a recurring story from the far winds. It's not just from, it's like, an, it's in the world of ice and fire also, that this is a recurring tale that the far winds tell which means there might be some truth to it. And we do know, I mean, there you clearly, if you sail far west enough, you will get to Essos, I guess, or something else. You'll get, definitely get to land eventually. I mean, I don't suppose it's flat. I don't suppose it's like Lord of the Rings where you sail far enough west and you go to, you end up in whatever it is, Valinor or whatever that is. <laughs> or is that the east? Oh, so that is the west, yeah, it's still the west. So anyway, that, I don't think Westeros works that way, but either way, the, the Far Wind's attitude towards this is, is interesting. Uh, so you could say they're hardcore in part because they're ironborn and part because they have the, the lack of support, like food and, and supplies. They're not gonna have much access to trade and things like that. And the isolation is extreme. The toughness comes from that accepting that separation, maybe some mental toughness, you know, like being part of a culture that's just so a world apart from everybody else, like the ironborn are already a culture apart. And now you got people that even the ironborn kind of shun. So like that. That's a different kind of toughness because you just have to accept that you're kind of an outcast house. And that's, that's not like physical toughness. It's not adjusting to climate. But man, you got to, being an outcast house is, it's probably pretty tough. That'll probably make you tougher if it doesn't break you. You might have more independence of thought, might feel like more capable or self-confident if it doesn't break you. So I think they're the best choice amongst the Ironborn. There, there's sur- surely other choices, but kind of like some of these other regions, there's not a lot to differentiate them. The two lesser isles are Black Tide and Salt Cliff. But like, are they more hardcore because they're a little poorer than the other, other Iron Islands? I don't know if that's enough of a differentiator. So we'll just stick with Farwind as our only highlighted house among the Iron Islands with the caveat that there are others that would probably count as hardcore to a lower degree. All right. What do you all think about the Farwinds overall in terms of their hardcore? Is it more of like we're, they're cool because they're mystical or are they actually as hardcore? Or is it maybe, maybe we don't know enough because the one guy we saw seemed kind of, not that violent. I don't know. Yeah, I'm
2: suspicious. I'm suspicious of what they're all really like in the first place. We have such little information. It might be a paradise island and they just want everyone to think it's awful. Leave us alone. <laughs> We've got it made out here.
0: <laughs> We've been pretending to be weird for all this time. Yeah. <laughs> keep that keep that charade going. <laughs> no one's going to sail over there to check, right? <laughs> Who would go? It's like, yeah, I'm going to go swing by Lonely Light see what's happening. They, they've always got a good party going on, yeah. So they are, e- even if they're not hardcore, they're extremely unique. They're one of the most unique houses in all of Westeros, I think. And like with the, some of Shea's ideas, some of the things we talked about with the skin changing, they're a topic to come back to and a house I hope we learn a little more about. I don't know that they're likely to be a big part of the story, but George could throw in a nugget here or there. There's, there's a, there might be a, a call for it, you know? Skin changing houses that aren't northerners, you know, that's... That's interesting. Which is a segue to the north. Yeah, the north itself. Again, the north is extremely large, not as, quite as large as some people say it is, but we're gonna start at the Neck since we're making our way norther, northerly and the Neck is kind of a world of its own. It's a little bit of a microcosm. What we'll see in the north is similar to some of the things we saw in Dorne, which is that some of these locations were not claimed quickly because they are in harsh lands, lands that needed some taming before they were fit for human habitation. One thing that's a little different about the North, it's probably more issues with wild beasts. Probably fewer poisonous animals, but more like bears and wolves that will actually attack you. Whereas, I don't know that there's a lot of large animals in the desert that will just come right at you. You might you might step on a scorpion and get stung, but that's a different sort of danger to like a giant bear that's going to come try to maul you to death or a shadow cat or a wolf or a dire wolf. So that's a different sort of concern a different style of hardcore when you're living amongst dangers from animals that we mostly haven't spoken of to this point most of the dangers we've spoken of are human dangers raiders pirates reavers etc now we have in some places in the north we have that plus this um, although maybe less in some cases like if you're far inland in the north you're not going to be too worried about pirates and raiders but you might be even more worried about some of these other factors so the neck They've got their own episode. We've we've got a whole episode on the Kranigman, so we'll spend a little less time on here than we might have otherwise. It's not quite as cold there. They don't have to worry nearly as much about raids. People don't raid the (laughs) Kranigman. There's not much to take. (laughs) And they have their poison arrows and their great home field advantage, so it's not a good plan anyway. And it's hard to get there. Yeah, just so many reasons why it's not a good idea. They appear to have a lot of adaptations, both biological and cultural. Uh, and they are believed superstitiously to have even more. <laughs> like like the Frey belief that they can breathe mud. That's probably not true. They probably can't breathe mud, but they might be able to use like little reeds to breathe like proto low-tech snorkels, which would come off as breathing mud, you know, to someone who doesn't know better. And of course, for the rest of the similarities, we'll see a lot of things that are similar to Dorne, but dealing with cold weather instead of hot weather. Stubborn culture that's endured cold and free folk and Andals and Ironborn. The farther north you go, the colder and more free folky and sparser it gets. Maybe less ironborn, but still the rest gets worse. Here's a good quote from the World of Ice and Fire to help us set the stage for the entire north. Quote.
2: The northmen still retain something of the old ways and their customs and their manner. Their life is harder, and so they are hardened by it. And the pleasures that in the south are considered noble are thought childish and less worthy than the hunting and brawling that the Northmen love best.
0: It's a good example of even in-world what you might consider hardcore is, has variance based on your, your own cultural upbringing. George has compared the North to Scotland. So it's something of a model for us in terms of climate and and other factors. Obviously, Scotland is tiny compared to Westeros, but Westeros as a whole is sort of like England made much, much larger and flipped 180 and Ireland stacked on top or inside it. So. It works fairly well. Eons is an important distinction, too. Uller and Corgyle, for example, those houses aren't super old. Maybe 1,000, 2,000 years old, maybe even less. But some of these northern houses are much, much older. They have been adjusting to their surroundings for longer. They've had longer to acclimate, longer to adapt, and that's pretty meaningful. Like 2,000 years of adapting versus 8,000 years of adapting. as more physiological changes will have occurred in that time. Uh, Yet some old traits remain. There's still a lot of lar- like some of the traits may have vanished from the early north, but some of them are still there because they're useful. The Mormons and Umbers are on our short list, which is a funny thing to call it because this list is of big people. <laughs> uh, I said this at the beginning. It's true even in the animal kingdom. Cold climates often come with extra size. Think of the woolly mammoth, things like that, the biggest land walking animal ever extreme cold weather
2: polar bears are big
0: polar bears yeah they're huge they're like the one of the largest types of bears if not the largest is because that size is is a barrier against the cold protecting your vital internal organs keep protecting that body temperature which is really important internal body temperature regulation is super important for our survival your body will always try to regulate itself to that floor temperature that it's meant to be at and animals are the same if you have extra layers whether it's clothing or fat or fur It protects your vital organs right and so that's obviously the first cultural adaptation that's necessary is clothing for humans but animals are obviously different but it's the animals that have adapted to cold weather that you wear the furs of Hmm. (laughs) right so it's it's still like you're using their you're kind of co-opting their adaptation or their evolution uh if we're looking at mormont and bear island good example but also an example of a house we've already done as they have have their own episode. So I definitely direct you to that for a fuller treatment. But you can immediately see some of the things we're talking about. Very isolated. They're on an island in the very far north. It's not very rich. We know that from Linus Mormont's experience. (laughs) Very firsthand, almost secondhand, I suppose. Still pretty well attested to. Not that close to the shore, not super far, but it's mostly close to the, the parts of the shore it's close to are also pretty sparse and very cold. They face both Raiders from Beyond the Wall and the Iron Islands. And, of course, they have the low resources as well. The series is particularly full of tough Mormonts too, both TV and book. And the TV show, as much as it didn't focus too much on lesser houses, the Mormons had a lot of representation on the TV show of toughness. Like, whether it's Jorah, who's, you know, there's issues with him. There's no doubting his toughness, though. Gior Mormont, same. And then little Lyanna Mormont. Like, come on. They, they, that was like their main, you know, house virtue is toughness, right? It was one of the things you see about them. And this comes from being raised in this climate where the Mormons are a little different in that they have a lot more presence and regard for women and a lot more of them are warriors. And that by itself, I think adds to the hardcoreness. Like you have a lot of these cultures that keep their women from fighting and like a lot of the ones that are in the extremes are more likely to have women warriors, the Dornish have a lot of women warriors. And the North has a, a decent chunk of them too, but a lot like an outsized proportion of them come from Bear Island.
2: You can't afford prejudices when you have more limited resources. When you need everyone to be tough, you can't afford to be like, uh, yeah you women aren't allowed to do xyz or whatever you know group you want to be prejudiced against you kind of need everyone to be together
0: and working and be tough about it you know and when they and especially when it's proven that they're good at it it's like well these women are great at it. like these are tough capable women why would you not want to continue that <laughs> you know i mean there are some reasons i don't know that they're very good ones though <laughs> so that's really big so they they have all the things extreme climate ex- pretty darn remote lots of problems from humans and beasts bears in particular i would suppose and yeah they so they check off all the boxes mormont has an argument to be up there with uller and corgile and some of these others so i, I think uh, it's a strong case what do you think sean yeah i agree and i i want to
2: maybe this isn't quite as fair to compare to uller or, or argyle but the <laughs> but compared to like the iron islanders or the sisters they're better at um Having honor, they're not like f- leeching off other people. Does that make sense? They're they're able to within this tough environment still do it
0: on their own. So yeah.
1: I'm just gonna I have to point out that you said Argyle, which, which is, is funny because kind of we just started
0: talking about Scotland as a comparison. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. You, you very <laughs> much meant and I think we all knew what you meant, but I had a, a very clear image of a Corgile in an Argyle sweater. <laughs>
0: And by the way, the actor who plays G Mormon, I'm forgetting his name. He's been in a lot of things. He's Scottish. So that's fitting, too. <laughs> that's right. He's probably worn some Argyle in his day, you know. Uh, yeah. So, yes, the Scots make great wool, don't they? Argyle is a form of form
1: James of Cosmo. Nice What's that? James Cosmo. Oh, yeah. James
0: Cosmo. Yes. Thank you. Very good. Um, so. They're very strong. What do you think more monsters are up there too, Shea? Is Would you have anything to add to that? Or you just kind of agree or what?
1: Yeah, I think they are. I think I because think they have both the extreme climate of the, um, the extreme climate that our southern houses had to face, but also the extreme uh, pillaging, the extreme uh, violence that the sisters face. Mm, so I think yes. they have both of the hardcore elements there.
0: Without inflicting it on their neighbors like the sisters do.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although don't 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 the Mormons, haven't they sometimes attacked Iron Island? Is that was that something?
0: They a little bit. Most little of that bit, was just they joined bit. another attack on them. Yeah, they they helped.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I felt like I had there. I felt like there were times that they attacked Ironborn and it wasn't. But like you know, it's kind yeah. of a and they, they were fully
0: conquered by the Ironborn for a while too. Which yeah, is, that was must have been rough.
1: So yeah, I think that's that's rough.
2: <laughs> Here's another uh, measure, especially in the wake of what we were just talking about. If you lined up all of House Uller or all of you know these other groups that we're talking about and all of House Mormont, you got about 50% of these other houses who haven't been allowed to train or fight or all this other stuff. So, mm. but all the Mormont women have, right? So on average, they're in, they're, <laughs> their average is going to be higher hardcore. So.
0: If probably, I mean, that's point. probably true. The others
1: too, because the women be true, are more yeah. likely to fight there as oh, well. Oh, true.
0: Good but, point. Yeah. I wasn't thinking about that. Yeah. Maybe not quite as likely, but, but not, more likely yeah. than most. Yeah. Yeah. Not as
1: likely as the Mormont women, but more likely than most of Western. Yeah, because it yeah. sounds
0: like yeah. the Mormont women are the most likely to be warriors of any house. Quite pilot. They might have that claim. I'm not yeah, yeah. Of, yeah. Hundreds, Whereas I think not specifically think about that question, but I think that's probably true.
1: Yeah, whereas, but if you compare it to any just average Northern house, average Riverland, any other region's house,
0: yeah,
1: all of dorn has If them. you
2: looked at the top ten houses whose women are likely to be warriors, more than half of them might come from Dorne. Yeah, I would agree with <laughs> that's that. That's true. I would agree with
1: that as well. That that's kind of what I'm true. saying. Is so that the number one is Mormont, but then the rest of the top five is Dornish or whatever?
0: Mm, that's a good call. So very high on the list, Mormont come, registers. I imagine that's true for many of y'all as well. But we, of course, as all of these. Go. We'd like to hear from you if you feel differently. Since we have covered House Mormont in their own episode, and there is a lot more that y- y'all can hear about them there, I wanted to throw in another house that's nearby, that's similar, maybe not quite as bad, but uh, worth a mention, I think, and that's House Glover of Deepwood Mott. They're very near to House Mormont, and we know that, for example, Jora's first wife was a Glover. Probably have married each other quite a few times. They have a lot of the same conditions. Not quite as remote. They're not on an island, but The Western North is pretty remote, pretty sparse overall. So it is still very, that much that. And it's probably a little bit warmer because they're a little bit farther South. Not much though, not much at all. I mean, it's almost directly due South of Bear Island. And then you would argue that they probably have more danger from Free Folk Raids because the Free Folk Raiders usually aren't on ship. They are sometimes, and it's definitely been said plenty of times, that Bear Island's been hit by Free Folk Raiders. But free folk raiders are a lot more likely to just climb the wall and go by land. And that puts them square in the path of Deepwood Mott if they're heading south to where there would be people. Because if you're raiding north of Deepwood Mott, like, what are you finding? Like, crofters, villages? Like, there's not much to raid there. You're going to need to get to a little more populated area, which this would be. So it's about as far north as you get on the mainland before you get to the wall, the, the Night's Watches territory, which is extremely sparse. and they would have had to also worry about children of the forest and giants back in the day now this of course isn't that relevant now but it's still worth mentioning that it would have been part of carving this spot out in the first place and the glovers are ancient they were first men kings they were subjugated by the starks after having been established so very very old
1: can i can i make an interjection about this uh, warrior women thing sure i found one a quote from george where he was asked do the women of Dorne fight and in a suspect, Martin, he said, Some do, the sand snakes, for instance, but it's not the rule. And then, notably, I found it really interesting that I think it's just because of how many characters we see, really. But this Reddit post where they compiled like women warriors, mm-hmm. the most highborn women warriors were in the Riverlands that they found. Like, on average, because you think you have like, Agnes Blackwood, Alison Blackwood, Sabbath, Afraid, John Kill Dark, Melanie Piper. Interesting. So like they actually, well, I think it's just that we've heard of more of them. There's more wars we, in
0: the Riverlands. We, yeah, yeah, we
1: hear of more of them than we would, but I found that super interesting uh, to That's think That's a good about. point.
0: Yeah, Black Alley, Blackwood's... Um...
1: I, I, Others, I mean, yeah, yeah. So the ones out. I said, I said Sam the Frey and Melanie yeah. Piper and John Kiel Dark. Those right. are all. Well, John Kiel Dark is more Crownlands, I guess, but it's like on the on other the
0: border. Line. Yeah, it's close. It's by. on the border. Yeah,
1: but yeah, I, I would have maybe called that Crownlands if I had been making this post. I guess.
0: So that's good. That's that's good. That's good. Um.
1: Yeah, I, mean, I just there. wanted good, to just wanted
0: information. To
1: clarify that.
0: West of Deepwood Mott is the very mystical and interesting and unexplored, from us readers' perspective, Sea Dragon Point. There are weirwood circles there. There's lots of trees there still. It's where the warg king was defeated by the Starks, which probably means the Glovers helped. If the Glovers were subjugated by the Starks and they're right next to the warg king's domains, they were probably a uh, participatory vassal. The Starks would have probably called on them to help, if not the entire North or whoever they had at the time, because they hadn't subjugated the whole North by the time of the War King. And this just keeps coming up. Anytime we talk, we started talking about it with the uh, with the Far Winds, but it's going to pop up for all the rest of these houses in the North. There's always the skin changer factor. There's oh always to throw that into the mix. Like there's, got, there's been some Glover skin changers. There's been some Mormon skin changers. We don't exactly know who they were, how they lived their lives, whether they were the Lord or... Uh, you know, second or third son or daughter and how that was used or not used during their time. Do they have like a kind of a regular thing they used to do back in the day when someone was born with these powers or do they just kind of keep it on the down low? So they have a lot of threats around them. the, the beasts, the ironborn, the free folk, the weather, but all they have is a wooden castle. <laughs> That's thousands of years and they have a wooden castle. They never upgraded to stone, which kind of implies they don't have exactly have a lot of wealth, so they definitely don't fit into the category of extremely wealthy lords that have gotten soft over the over years because of their income has just allowed them to live easy. So that definitely doesn't apply here. And the western part of the north in general just seems very empty. It's very, like, the stony shore. And this is all the, this is, these are the lands Asha is describing that could have people living in them, and they might as well be their people. But, yeah, they're just, no one's living there.
2: it it might go hand in hand with another point we've made that sometimes there's a fine line or or a connection between hardcore and uh stubborn right so maybe they're just stuck in their old ways this wood castle is good enough for us we don't need stone (laughs) as they shiver through the night (laughs) yeah right (laughs) we're hardcore (laughs) yeah we're,
0: we're hardcore shivering right now so yeah they have source of firewood no problem for that. that's one thing they won't have any issue with it might still be really cold though the amount of fire they need to drive the cold away might be substantial but they're basically in the wolf's wood so shouldn't have any trouble with that one thing that's uh they've got available unlike you know in the desert when it gets cold at night and they're like well where's the where's what are we doing for warmth here you know we have no no wood where's the cold wood <laughs> yeah where's the cold wood <laughs> The only one here is Ironwood, which doesn't burn, man. Yeah. <laughs> so that kind of feels hardcore. Like, Werewoods, they're intimidating. Heart trees are kind of scary, but not to Northerners. So that, that maybe, like, to an outsider, maybe feels a little hardcore. But to them, it's, like, comforting. It's like your gods are here with you. So I don't know. It still kind of feels a little hardcore if you think about the way they used to worship, like with the entrails and the trees and the blood sacrifice and all that. So back in the day, maybe more so. Now, we pointed out the toughness that was on display with the Mormonts just on the characters that we see on screen. It is absolutely true for the Glovers, too. Not quite as boss as the Mormont, not quite as front and center, but very important both in recent and current times. Galbart Glover, very capable leader, important part of Rob's army, eventually is one of the two trusted men sent into the neck with Mage Mormont. <laughs> another trusted tough person from the north with rob's hidden orders and knowledge of his will which we discussed very recently in the riddle of rob's will his brother robert total badass big dude the guy he's the guy that pulled off with aria the weasel soup incident he'd led the northerners on that play he was the one that voluntarily got captured by the bloody mummers in order to do a maneuver against them like you're voluntarily going into their capture. I mean, they are part of the plan, but still you're trusting the bloody mummers, you know? Like, that's this is pretty hardcore. And then he moves on and is doing this stuff with Wyman Manderley behind the scenes to try to get Rickon restored to the... No- These guys are proving their metal for serious. Like, they're doing all the... They're giving a lot of tough jobs and doing it well, which really implies, like, this is a house that produces capable people. Going back another generation, the one survivor of Brandon Stark's party that went to demand the death of Rhaegar. Come out and die, Rhaegar, and then Ares had them all killed. Well, he didn't have them all killed. Remember, he had one of them not killed, and that was Ethan Glover. Ethan Glover was one of Brandon's squires. So you got one another, another piece of evidence that another Glover was worthy of being squire to the heir of Winterfell, right? And then he survived for some reason, which is still an open mystery. I have no idea why Ares didn't kill him. And then the poor dude just joins Ned Stark to go to the Tower of Joy, and obviously he didn't make it back from that <laughs> because only Hal and Reed did. So we have these Glovers in very important roles, doing tough guy things, being trusted with hardcore jobs and, and, and you know warrior general type situations. So they get a lot of points from what the current characters are doing <laughs> to prove the badassness, and they've got a pretty solid resume in terms of where they live, the dangers they face. I still think they don't quite measure up to Mormont, but I think they were worthy of mention because they're pretty close. They're not that far behind. Is that how you see it, Sean? Would you agree Glover's a little behind Mormont or maybe differently?
2: Maybe if that squire had survived the Tower of Joy, then I would like, <laughs>
0: <laughs> was it
2: quite hardcore yeah. enough?
0: <laughs> the Reed survived, not the not the Glover. And I did want to point out there the wasn't Reed's a being hardcore,
2: those swamp dwellers. So. <laughs> That's
0: right. He figured it out. That's right okay and then honorable mention to the hill clans of the north we'll give it to wall you know a big bucket wall the walls are considered the most powerful so we'll highlight them they have even a harder time with the weather they live up in the mountains and hills in the north that's really bad that's where it gets the coldest i mean it's hard to imagine maybe you go farther north it gets colder than that but in the region of the north That's probably the coldest it gets is up in those hills and mountains. And that's where these guys have lived for a long time. And you might think that leaves them relatively free from fighting, but except from each other. But fighting each other is a pretty big deal. They do fight each other a lot and they do fight the Ironborn. The Ironborn have. Occupied a lot of regions near them, and they've had to have a lot of encounters with them, which that'll toughen you up. Having to fight the Ironborn, no doubt. Like ask the malisters ask uh, the, the Mormonts. So these are kind of like frozen mountains versus desert mountains. <laughs> Go ahead.
2: One thing I think might give the edge and hardcoreness to the colder climates than the warm is because one thing in the warm climates that you do to to, to make it is don't expend energy. You just have to like get in the shade and chill out, right? But in the cold climates. Mm. Just to survive through a day, takes a bunch of hard work. You have to go chop firewood. You know, you have to go out in the cold to get food and bring it back in. You have to heat all your home. All of which
0: burns calories. Right, if you're
2: burning yeah. calories, you're moving and you're working just to make it through a regular day. So you leave there to go to a nicer environment and someone wants you to do something that they might think of as tough and like, this is easy, I do this every day. This is like, this is you easy. know, <laughs> I, when I got out of the army- I'm done early. I got out of the army and <laughs> went to work at Blockbuster and I was like, there's nothing you could ask me to do here that's as hard as being in an 82nd Airborne Division, right? Like this is—I don't know that I was <laughs> hardcore, but it was relatively easy, right? So I think someone yeah. from Dorn going up into a cold climate, having to survive, might be overwhelmed. Someone from the north going to a hot climate might be like, "What are we supposed to do now? Just relax in the shade? That's how we survive?"
0: Okay, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. So there. Obviously, they show their toughness and their dedication to how Stark it shows their, their hardcore ability to, to take on a, an enemy, whether it's a local enemy like the Boltons or an invader like the Ironborn. They're very protective of their territory and of their liege lord. I, I think that gives them some points for, for hardcoreness, because we, we, we've we uh, included that as part of our definition of fighting against incursions or just fighting. Making you know, <laughs> If you fight, that'll make you tougher, I suppose. If... <laughs> as a culture, maybe not as an individual, depends, but often as an individual as well. So something that we can get a little stronger handle on is the farthest north house that's considered part of the north proper, which is the Umbers and Last Hearth. And if any house has evidence of giant's blood, which is even on their sigil, (laughs) the giant breaking its chains, then it is House Umber. And they are also the house that hates the free folk, the wildlings more than any other as they are most likely to be raided by them more than any other northern house. They have endured the most Free Folk raids, most Wilding raids over the years. Moores, a.k.a. Food's daughter, shout out to Amanda Crowfood's daughter, who's making videos again. She was uh, on a sabbatical for a while, but she's back at it. And We had worked together on an episode about uh, The Last of the Giants and Giant's Blood and Brandon the Builder, and one of those was a Patreon episode. And one of them is uh, not Giants, When Giants Roamed. There will be another one. She's
2: got a lot of good insights. Sorry to interrupt there. I just wanted to second the, the shout she out. She
0: does. She does. Absolutely. So, Crowfood's daughter, that story fits right here, too, because Morris' daughter was carried off by the Free Folk. That's who she's channeling as her kind of character for her YouTube channel. And that's obviously a reason to hate if your daughter was stolen by this, these people. And. This map, you can see there by the last river. So the last hearth and the last river, it's basically the, I suppose it's named the last river because it's the last river before the wall, because there are rivers beyond the wall. So it isn't technically the last river going northwards, but it is the last river in the north. So that is pretty important. That shows you where they derive most likely their fresh water and allows them to, trade downriver with houses like the Manderleys and any other house smaller houses along last river there is a, another uh, apparently structure that they've built on the far side of the last river because they have been established for a while they're also really really old school they're a long standing house as old as the Starks pretty much and they have a long tradition of, of fighting so they have extreme cold, probably more than any the other houses, with the possible exception of the mountain clans. They have just as much fighting. Uh, they have done a lot of fighting directly against kings beyond the wall. They have a lot, a lot of their history is of stories where they assisted Starks, assisted the lord Commander, or fought them themselves, even in one or two spots. Let us, as we have done with these other northern houses, dream on what an umber skin changer might be like. A giant of a man with a bear at his side or a huge wolf. And I say a giant of a man because every single umber we've seen is huge. And that's why I say that they might have giant's blood. Because it's, it's just like the great John, his description is as tall as Hodor, but twice as wide. And the small John, his son, R.I.P., killed at the Red Wedding, had them. They they thought he would get bigger than his father. He would outgrow his father eventually because he's so big and not fully grown yet. Like what? <laughs> Crowfood going back to him has a snow bear cloak and an obsidian eye. He has a dragon glass eye because he lost an eye and put a chunk of dragon glass. That's kind of hardcore, man. Yeah, that's hardcore. And <laughs> <laughs> and one of them wanted Mance raider's skull for a drinking cup as part of his like deal to, to join, join stannis you know it's like that's my terms i want i'll join you but i need mance skull to drink out of that's that's what I need. it's like no i don't need money i don't need honor i want that damn skull that <laughs> dude he's getting it for me
2: if drinking you know? from a skull makes you hardcore and i'm gonna say it does because i've <laughs> drunk from a skull before so
0: <laughs> you
2: have you have drunk from a skull many times not an actual human
0: skull a replica, though
2: hey, don't let mm. detail, details get in the way of this awesome story. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: true. A real skull would be just like dripping right out. I wouldn't even know like, you'd have to do something to that. Like, it's not that good of a drink. You just vessel, have to be I hardcore, <laughs> you just have to deal with the drips. That's part of being hardcore. Be hardcore. Uh, you're right, man. I mean, my <laughs> lack of hardcore is being exposed here. <laughs>
1: you're soft soft southerner you're soft
0: core i am soft core (laughs) i don't have look at me i have no hair whatsoever look at this (laughs) arms i have no bear's fur no i'm not six feet tall let alone seven i'm not twice as wide as hodor (laughs) I'm the small Aziz, and it's not ironic. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm more medium, really, but compared to those guys, I'm Yeah, small. you're like,
1: you know, there's medium sized Rudy or regular sized size Rudy, Rudy and Bob's, Ber- <laughs> and Bob's Burgers. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> your average sized disease.
0: <laughs> so the Umbers definitely get a lot of points there. They got the extreme weather, the, the fighting, the size, the dedication, like great John. Just the characters we've seen on screen have all been pretty hardcore. The stories we've heard about other ones have all been pretty hardcore. You've got like, uh was that other one um the drunken giant was another one that's from history like that was great john's great grandfather or something like that yeah they're just like every umber we hear about seems to be like this it's it's almost like something's more is going on there so i think they're pretty darn hardcore i don't know sean what do you think hard as hardcore as the mormons or maybe not quite i don't know Mm.
2: i think maybe i think i might give it to him i'm not sure Uh, Just wasn't, wasn't the great John. Didn't he get like his finger bent off by, by gray wind? Am I two of
0: them? Right. And he just and was, he was like,
2: like oh, all right, I'm on your team now. Let's drink more. Like, like,
0: yeah, it was like that proved that Rob was tough enough. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Rob right. was like, I'm glad he thinks I'm tough enough. Cause he's tougher yeah. than me. <laughs> it's pretty hardcore to lose a couple of fingers and not even like, oh, well, yeah he was barely phased by that yeah that is pretty pretty gnarly <laughs> that's pretty hardcore <laughs> that's burned men like right there yeah he just lost two fingers and was like
2: Pfft. yeah yeah and i was wanting to put an argument in for them earlier so we're here we are with a group that's farther north and dealing with you know in the same way i ordered that they maybe are borderline persecuted the umbers or maybe borderline persecuted it may not quite the right word but you know constantly being raided by uh, wildlings and yeah i might give it to the umbers
0: word yeah, it's it's a tough argument. It's it's really hard to pick the winner here out of all of them, especially when they're when their their climate situations are so different. Like you made a point that maybe cold is worse in some ways than heat, but it's not one hundred percent certain. So yeah yeah, 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 it's tough. So, and we'll be seeing more of the umbers in the main story too. That's fun. Another house that uh, or a place that has a few houses that also has a role to come in the story is Skagos. Let's look at them on the map. We did an episode on Skagos a long time ago, back in the days of Artos the Implacable, I think it was. Yeah, back then, yeah. (laughs) Let's remind ourselves of the Skagosi, the Skags, the Stoneborn, as they are called, to differentiate them from the Ironborn, I suppose, with this sexy quote. It's pretty
1: sexy. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. A huge hairy... Foul smelling folk. Mm. Some Maesters believe the Skagosi to have a strong admixture of Ibnese blood. Others suggest that they may be descended from giants, clad in skins and furs and untanned hides, and said to ride on unicorns. The Skagosi are the subject of many a dark rumor. It is claimed they still offer human sacrifice to their werewoods, lure passing ships to destruction with false lights and feed upon the flesh of men during winter.
0: Okay, so that's an element of hardcore we hadn't quite run into yet, cannibalism. <laughs> I don't know if that counts as hardcore, but it's certainly threatening and intimidating and yikes. It might, because and it's, it's definitely the reason they're cannibals is, is evidence of why they're hardcore, which is that the lack of other forms of food. So that certainly matters. Now, we, again, we have this largeness, huge, and the hairiness, which is suggested to be giant's blood or Ibanez blood, which might be the same thing because the Ibanez also, as we have detailed on our episode on Ib, might also have giant's blood. So it might be like two different strains of ancient giant blood kind of coming back together here on Skagos. As you can see, it is farther north than Last Hearth. It is farther north than Mormont Keep Uh, or all of Bear Island, really. And it is parts of it are farther north than the wall. So, eh, not all of it. So, but this is where we're limited in our knowledge. We don't know which part, you know, how much Southern Skagos is paired to Northern Skagos. But there are three noble houses that we know of there. Crowl, Stain, and Magner. That's Stain, S-T-A-N-E, not like, you know, blood stain. <laughs> Although that would probably be appropriate. Driftwood Hall, King's House, and Deep Down are the name of their seats. We don't know if those are stone or timber or even that. Uh, you know, cl- silly putty maybe, but in a bookend to our point about High Hermitage, that we expect to learn a little more given where the plot's going, the same is true here. Because as we referred to it in Valar bag pack your bagos for Skagos Davos, because he's going there under the auspices of Wyman Manderly to find Rickon. So we'll probably see it firsthand. I doubt we'll just see it in memory. Like, yeah, I'm thinking back when I was at Skagos. Like, what? Come on, show us. <laughs> and yeah, so we'll, we might see it up front. Now, what did we call the far winds, like Cthulhu, Viking skin changers? These are unicorn-riding, hairy, Clegane-sized, weirwood-sacrificing, skin-changing, wrecker cannibals. They're, they're laying, their name is a lot longer. <laughs> Doesn't necessarily mean they're more hardcore, especially because, as the, quote, suggests some of this is just rumor. It isn't actually necessarily true. Some of it might be exaggerated because we know the unicorns are probably goats, one with a single horn, unigoats, or some sort of woolly rhino offshoot, which is sort of a unicorn, but not the kind of unicorn we think of in standard, you know, well, there is no real standard unicorn, but it's not a nice, pretty white horse with a horn. You know, it's something much else.
2: Yeah, I would think even if it was a real unicorn, that's not hardcore. That's fun and fanciful.
0: <laughs> but these are hairy, like, nasty unicorns that people and if ride. It's,
2: if it's a hairy one-horned goat, then that might look almost silly. You know, <laughs> if it's like kind of a small goat and a big person on it, I don't know. <laughs> it might, it might. Yeah, so we'll have to and see. And this is all probably rumor anyway. I don't know. I don't buy these guys as being that hardcore.
0: Well, we have seen the one, the goat. That okay. is that's okay. something we've seen, because Jon Snow had a, a wolf dream of Shaggy Dog. And he and Shaggy Dog was taking on one of these goats, and it was a lot larger than him. And direwolves are pretty darn big, so like almost human size. So if not taller, they're taller than the children when they're full grown. So it, that part might be accurate. And they may have ridden these unicorns on land, like on the mainland during some other times. But you're right to be suspicious in general. So it is, again, like High Hermitage that we'll see it and weigh in again once we've seen it and got, got a better idea. But it definitely is. There's no doubt it's really cold. There's no doubt it's food scarce. And there's no doubt the people there have to be hardcore just to live. It's just a matter of how hardcore are they and how much of these hardcore attributes are actually true or exaggerated. But there's, a, there's no doubt they're at least somewhat hardcore, I'd say, yeah. right? Like, it's pretty hard to it, see, it seems like the rumors can't be that out of whack, especially given just the where they live. I mean, it's such a barren place. You know, I also imagine
2: the cannibalism thing, it's probably not a regular practice. That's probably rumor, but probably based on something, there probably was a time when they were in dire straits and they were freezing to death and didn't have food and there were people that had died anyway. And they figured, well, we might as well eat them rather, rather than die, right? Um, which I think is reasonable, very reasonable, even if it is sort of a taboo.
1: Okay, so I'm going to quote Sean on this. You Cannibalism can quote me on this. is very reasonable. <laughs> Cannibalism <laughs> is very reasonable. Sean Pink, 2023.
2: <laughs> I don't mind being quoted on that.
1: Okay, and good. and you know, and that's
2: one thing. One one way you might think about uh, hardcore. One thing that might make someone hardcore is that something that would normally hold someone back doesn't hold you back whether it's being weak well i'm not held back because i'm strong being scared i'm not held back because i'm brave being uh cold or hot i'm not held back because i can tough this out being starving to death well i'm not held back because i'll eat the dead bodies i'm hardcore (laughs) i'm not going to be held back by this taboo or this limitation or whatever it is
0: i'm going to survive one way or another Yeah. yeah that is part of that a lot of it does get very much into just your survival instinct, like what you have to do, what you're willing to do to survive or what a culture is willing to do to survive or what a noble house that's trying to establish itself is willing to do to survive, which might involve some like shady politics or tricking people or do or, or, you know, stealing labor or to use a modern term or something like that, which is a lot of which is, to be honest, that's probably a lot of that probably happened because building a castle in some of these locations must have been really terrible and difficult. And it was probably done by a lot of people who were not very willing or not paid very well, but um, but it wasn't explicitly slave labor, I guess, because, you know, like the end aren't bringing slaves into the deep desert of Dorne, I don't think uh, there's no story about that. There's no. But that doesn't mean the locals weren't like heavily leveraged in a very unfair, un, you know, yeah. dishonorable way. In fact, it seems very likely in a lot of these cases, maybe not so much with Skagos. Or Bear Island, but yeah, some of the other places, quite possibly. House Then, I want to throw out them as a mention as well. Not in the Valley of the Fens as well, both of them. Um, because it's pretty hardcore living way far. We talked about the Skagosi living farther north, but the thens are even farther north than that. Which doesn't know what automatically mean it's always colder, but to keep that in mind, like an island on the the Bay of Ice there could easily be colder than something a little bit farther north because the Thens have a valley. It might be protected from some of the coldest winds or something like that. They might have some caves with some heat emanating from them or better, just better protection from the cold. They certainly have more fertility in the Valley of the Thens than a lot of other places have. And they even have metalworking and things like that. So in some ways they are more like a, a house or a kingdom, a small kingdom. So they should count and they're spreading. Alice Karstark married Sigorn of Fenn <laughs> and they uh, how uh, Carhold is would have been maybe next on the list behind umber and Glover and Mormont for being hardcore because they're so far north and have to deal with a lot of stuff but it's kind of they're kind of in a weird spot of maybe not being what they were anymore because now they're kind of called house then because you know Sigorn is the man in that marriage and they were married by Melisandra, So it's, it's semi-traditional and it's still taking, she's taking his last name or whatever. But there's, Harry and Karstark is still out there and we'll see. But it, they're definitely worth a mention because they're very tough. They're free folk who live in extreme, extreme North. They don't, dealing with giants is not a f- factor of their history. It's a factor of current times up until they all basically left the Valley of the Fens to flee the others. So even even their homeland is in doubt right now. But again, there's pretty pretty little doubt that they're hardcore. The TV show made them even, made them weird and kind of kind of bind them with some of the other houses. Like they had the cannibalism on the TV show. They're not cannibals in, in the books, as a reminder. Some of y'all may have forgotten that. So, but they are hardcore, I'd say. I think it's pretty fair to call them that. They They live in extremes. They deal with other free folk clans around them who are very violent a lot of times. And they often have to prove themselves by doing things like climbing the wall and raiding into the, you know, raiding into the north and facing houses like the Umbers and the Mormons and then surviving that and getting back home with loot or even like stealing a woman or something like that. How do you even do that? How do you carry a person over the wall? Like that, okay, that is kind of hardcore. I don't approve. But it's hardcore. Like, yeah, I'm gonna carry this woman over my shoulder all the way back. Like, damn, that's, oof, that's, that's tough.
2: <laughs> even if they didn't have to go over the wall, just like from how far north they are of the wall. Yeah, that distance, you know, just to, even if you weren't carrying a person at all, or had yeah. the wall just traversing that distance in that weather. That's hardcore.
0: Yeah, And and there's also a difference in like rating for just like wealth and rating for just basic food, which a lot of the free folk, that's what they're doing. They're just trying to to eat, uh, which is an interesting like ethical conundrum, but not really part of our discussion today. It's certainly interesting when you're stealing to survive versus stealing to thrive. Those are definitely different things. I think
2: it might be a little bit of a tangent, too, but I have thought about this before, too. Sometimes they might even steal things that aren't food like a sword. But there's a decent chance they use that sword to turn into a plow or whatever else. You know, they just they need tools. They need metal and tools and stuff that, that can allow yeah, them to continue true. to make food. So
0: there are very few forages north of the wall. It's been said and many times and it's observable from the northern the chapters beyond the wall. We don't actually see one up front. And the, the access to those has probably been lost since they've all been abandoned as they flee south. So that's, that's that. That's our episode, folks. You may have noticed, uh, let's talk briefly about some patterns. A lot of the houses we mentioned are islands. Very few of them are towards the center of the continent. We have mostly avoided the Riverlands and the Reach in the West. We did talk about them briefly, but there wasn't a lot to, to add to this topic. And it's interesting to think about the andal culture permeated where it did and it wasn't able to penetrate some of these more remote regions and this is why these cultures were tougher and stronger and more rooted in their ways it's not so easy to displace a tough hardcore culture they're more likely to stick they're more likely to be the way they are they look at you as weaker they're like i don't want to be like you you're weaker <laughs> uh like think about the r- real world hardcore cultures that became that way because of certain advantage they had in toughness that they lost over the years like the mongols the mongols started in mongolia where it's really tough the steps make you are a real killer be killed type place survival of the fittest but once you conquer china and you're ruling chinese cities that are super rich and well developed and have been so for a long time yeah then it's not so hard well the ruling might be it's different. it's a different kind of hard but it's not hardcore <laughs> it's it's political hardcoreness yeah being tougher doesn't help you in that situation yeah Right, not physically tougher anyway, I suppose. Mental toughness it would, but which might help which would be helpful to ruling a you know, dealing with people. But ultimately that's something, you know, for talking about what makes you hardcore in the first place. It's it's not that. It's it's the, <laughs> the place you came from. And so that's why Dorne in the North and the Iron Islands is still kind of have either their own culture or a very different cult or or a homogenized, or a different variation on like Dorne still worships the seven, but they have very different like gender orientation and sexuality and ethnicity. than mainland central Westeros And the North is obviously different from first men culture and the Iron Islands is obviously different. So th- I think it's their cultural toughness that in- inborn hardcoreness that has also kept them the way they are for so long. It's why they're, they haven't gotten softer because of the reasons that made them hard in the first place are still in play for the most part some houses that would have been considered hardcore in the past have since gotten softer because times have improved their political situation their wealth whatever
2: i would say that that should be the goal to not be hardcore I don't think we should aspire. All hardcore people wish they <laughs> <Yeah>. were soft. <laughs> I agree. They can't be because they have this tough environment they're in, but if they could snap their fingers and make the weather nice and have wine to drink and food at their hand, and like, I, I, I mean, maybe some people are so stuck in their ways, they wouldn't accept that, but I'm not aspiring to be hardcore i'm so, i'm aspiring to be soft
0: <laughs> yeah i'd like to have like good health but i don't want to like have to earn it through like heart like extreme hardships like yeah i just like working out that's my hardship like i don't, I don't yeah, need to, like... run around the neighborhood
2: not run into arctic yeah
0: <laughs> yeah yeah exactly like that's that's tough enough for me i think <laughs> How about the rest of y'all? What 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 counts as toughness for you? What types of toughness did we not bring up? What are some maybe some things like we didn't talk about emotional and mental toughness as much? Although I think those are implied. Like yes, in order so to somewhat not covered be with the broken, sisters
1: and the Mormonts and stuff like that too, it's as well. Because like that, that you should be emotionally tough to deal with your your homes being pillaged all the time.
0: That's true. Deal with loss. Deal with like the yeah like you know one thing. I Actually, one point I want to make is that that i skipped over by accident i'm just remembering here as we're making our way out the northern uh cultural phenomenon of suicide by hunting when you go out in winter to not have to give your family another mouth to feed i don't know of any similar type cultural trend or tradition in other parts of the country and i kind of doubt that it's the southern part of the north probably happens less. So the farther north in the north, the more likely this is to happen. Think about how much food an umber eats because we talk about how large they are. You can almost guess that maybe the umbers or the Mormonts or one of these houses started that because they'd be the be under the most pressure in that regard, like taking a, hue, a seven foot man out of the equation. That's a lot of food you save <laughs> like a guy twice the size of Hodor. That's a lot of mouths you could feed like he probably eats four times the food of a regular guy
2: when a seven foot man is still healthy and able to go get food you want him around right like but eventually it gets to the point where he can't get as much food as he needs to eat and rather than being a burden on his family his community he takes it on himself to remove it like you know i can imagine there being some some debate around that topic but it is uh
1: you should go to skagos yeah to skagos,
2: get eaten That's a lot of food a lot of meat and them bones
0: they can have a real or real
1: ecosystem going giants there. on the menu tonight boys <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah so that is hardcore anyway you look at it. just that tradition of, of i'm gonna go freeze to death <laughs> rather than burden my family that you got to have real and that's emotional mental toughness and some physical toughness to do that i
2: mean and whatever sort of morality or social taboo might be around that i prefer that hardcore to salt hardcore you know yeah right right yeah i'm so tough i'll kidnap a woman to marry her My location is so remote. I have to kidnap women like, oh, I guess you're hardcore.
0: Like, this guy's so tough. <laughs> he's starved to death to save his family. That's the hardcore I want. You know? That's more hardcore. At least it's definitely a more honorable version of hardcore. It's probably more hardcore, too. Like, he's yeah, he's taking more suffering on himself for someone else. Yeah. Or just in general, just more suffering, period, whether it's for him or for someone else. It's just more suffering that he's invited. So not only are they tougher from living in these harsh environments, not only is their culture more stubborn because there may be a little more pride in being that tough, especially in a world where martial prowess is and thus toughness is so prized. They're also very well equipped to defend them against invasion. You have these tough people. It's pretty hard to beat them, especially in their own turf and drive them out. When you, your people are not acclimated to those regions. Like they have such an advantage in the mountains when their people can handle the climate and the heat and yours can't. And they know where the food is and the water is and yours don't. And your people are even worried are just worried about where the next water is going to come from. So that also is a is, I think, a very living, breathing part of George's world building is that the regions that have held on to their traditions are it is a reason for it. There's a reason these cultures have held on to their beliefs, their traditions, their whether you want to call it stubbornness or just It just works out that way. It's just these all these multiple factors come together to create this environment. I find it pretty fitting to a lot of what we know about the real world. So Shay, it looks like you did a little poll there, huh?
1: Yes, I sure did. You can only do four options on YouTube. So I had to just, you know, limit myself to which options I included. Um, I asked, what house is most hardcore? Uller got 48%. Corgyle got 0%, and someone said, We associate them with Argyle now. <laughs> t- so they can't be hardcore. You ruined it, Sean. You ruined uh, it. You ruined Corgyle <laughs> for everyone, I think, um, with that one. So they got 0%. No, everyone who wanted to vote for a Dornish house was just like Uller. Uller, Uller. got all the Dornish um, ones. So they got all the then, votes. Um, But so I thought maybe the vote would be split, which would mean Dorn wouldn't win. I was worried mm. about that. But no, everyone just threw their vote behind Uller. Uh, Mormont with 36%. Very strong uh and far wind with 16 percent hmm. yeah so I would be curious to see it just the northern houses vote like maybe I should do another quick poll and I just do the northern choices or something but I anyways maybe we could do more polls but I thought in the podcast Put
2: umber against
0: Oler <laughs>
1: yeah Okay.
2: The winner of that sure, one versus that. what I think might be the winner of the other one.
0: Okay, so the tr- uh, Guilty Undertaker says the question says, how many Florida man things have the Baratheons done over the years? <laughs> <laughs> that's of course in reference to our comparing the Stormlands to Florida. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: Quite a few, actually. That's a very good <laughs> undertake there. Florida man
1: makes the eight, Florida <laughs> <laughs> man. the eight,
0: that's the Florida man thing, yeah. yeah. Oof. <laughs> yeah. Trivia answer. Which houses were founded by Andals out of all the ones we talked about today? The answer is basically the second and third houses we talked about. We started with Dane, but then Uller and Corgyle. So Uller and Corgyle, both founded by Andals. So that is the answer. If you got one or both of those, congratulations. And yeah, so let's uh let's say Adios and shout out a few patrons right Sean
2: yeah I love to read off the the names of our patrons and as always I'll do a few old and a few new the maid of Silver Spring Sherry of Skane last of the long night archaeologists and wielder of untested hypothesis of Larian steel trowel with a Dragonbone handle nice Lord Fabian flowers the bastard of Green Shield next name to be clear this isn't a caveat of the past one you are a secret Targaryen Captain of the Borica Machirater- Man, I don't know if I'm saying that right. Machateros?
1: I think I'm I'm gonna guess you massacred that. Borica yes. <laughs> Ma Machateros, I would guess. Uriqua, but yeah.
0: that's okay. You're not, that's probably would have been hard to look up how to say that. So you
1: know. oh,
2: yeah. <laughs> and finally, Sir Zeke of House Boyat, the Knight of Maple Tree. Nice.
0: Right on. Cool. Uh, we don't have an episode next week. It's American Thanksgiving, and we will not be recording, but we'll be back the week after with a voted-on episode, so we can't tell you what it is yet. And a reminder, it's a good time to sign up for our Patreon. Go to historyofwestros.com for a link, or just go straight to patreon.com slash historyofwesteros. We're going to have a lot of votes coming up soon, a lot of opportunity for you all to affect what episodes we're doing in the near future. Like I said earlier in the episode, we're going to try to get way ahead on our schedule, map it out farther in advance and share that with y'all as as it becomes more completed so y'all can know what more to expect from us in the future and that will also like i said improve our process our videos our podcast everything will look a little better and sound a little better because we'll be a little more prepared and you all will be able to weigh in a little more in advance which will be nice a little more questions from you a little more feedback a little more just back and forth between y'all in general that'll be good and uh, i want to leave you all with some thanks and some additional episodes that you might want to check out that were related to this one we have an episode on ancient dorn with elio garcia we have the children of the forest um episode that's pretty relevant we have the neck slash kranigman episode we have uh episodes on the free folk uh, not a specific one but lots of different ones mixed in here with our valor um, i know i forgot one or two here we have an episode on skagos we have the episode on the giants it's called. When Giants Roamed, we have a Patreon episode called uh, The Buildings of Brandon, which discusses the possibility that Brandon used giant slave labor and just what buildings he was actually responsible for versus what ones were actually were credited to him. So lots of related topics to this one. I encourage you to enjoy those uh, even if you've heard them already. And thank you as well to Nina for her notes. Thank you to all of you who are already signed up on Patreon or on Spotify. You can also join us on Spotify as a Spotify subscriber. It's just rolls right into your Spotify subscription, gets added on top. So pretty simple. Works pretty similar to, to a Patreon subscription. Uh, doesn't give you voting access. We don't have the means to put that on Spotify, but it does give you all our bonuses, which is probably the most important thing. Thanks as well to Joey uh, and Jesse for the music, especially Joey who came up with the original music and Michael Klarfeld for our video intro. And all the rest of you who spread the word or send us love or anything like that, we really appreciate it. We're very lucky to be doing this and we want to keep it going. So Shay, you ran one more quick poll there. Is that what, what that number means there? Yes. Indeed, so it looks like this, the, heads up, the heads up poll, Umber beat Uller when it was one, one to one.
1: Umber wasn't on the poll before.
0: Oh, that's right, it was Mormont. Oh, okay, good call. So it looks like in some ways, Arguably, Umber is even over Uller. Similar names, kind of. <laughs> Umbrella. You mash them up. Uller Umber. So, I guess what we have to say is it's not fully determined. Where there's still some debate on who the most hardcore house is. Our ability to I think we'll put this... polls is not quite able to capture it.
1: Well, I think yeah we can't because we can't have more than four options. But I think what we should do is for the podcast upload we can do a heads up poll between Uller and Umber since they won the two polls and we'll see what the larger audience votes.
0: Okay, that's a good idea. Uller yeah, we, in, in fact, if you're our Spotify listener, you should be aware of that, that there are occasionally polls attached to episodes, if not questions. So you can look at the description of the episode and find that if you're, if you're interested. It's also got a sign-up link for our um, uh, Spotify subscribers. So lots of good information there for you to participate more directly. But if you just want to listen and move on, that's cool, too. That's what a lot of people do. and Nothing wrong with that. And we will indeed see you next time for more of History of Westeros podcast. And you know what to do in the meantime. Valar, reread us.